You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome to the Oz Network for a very exciting impromptu month as uh, we are putting James Bond and Wonder Woman and, well, let's just face it, everything else from 2020 on hold right now. And spur of the moment, we have this brilliant idea. It's the end of the world. Why don't we start an end of the world month? And Hopefully it will not be the end of the world because this is also a sneak preview of another very exciting month that won't be canceled, which is Rene Russo month. We are here to talk about Outbreak and Rene Russo and a whole bunch of other actors that you may or may not have heard of. Uh, this is 1995's um, precursor to COVID-19, <laughs> codename Motamba or something like that. <laughs> uh, the Wolfgang Peterson directed Dustin Hoffman, Kevin Spacey, Cuba Gooding Jr., Morgan Freeman, Rene Russo, uh, etc., etc., etc. Kiefer Sutherland's Sorry. dad. Kiefer Sutherland's dad. McDreamy. <laughs> Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> uh, all the all the hits of 1995 replayed here 25 years later. This is going to also be anniversary month because we're 25th anniversary. We're the beginning of Rene Russo. We're at the end of the world. We're just checking all the boxes here. Uh, so we get to talk about it all and give you a sneak preview of everything to come in the rest of the year. Uh, let's get into it. My name is Colin and finger on the phone. Finger on the phone. On the phone. Finger. Finger. Finger on the phone. 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 <laughs> and my name is Ben. And Colin, it's Ben. My name's Ben. Ben is my name. Ben. Just make sure that you know it's Ben. <laughs> ben is my name. So I'll be making sure that my name throughout this episode is Ben because Ben is my name, Colin. Colin. Colin, do you know my name is Ben? Ben. <laughs> ben is my name. Just so really get this clear that Ben is my name and Ben is my name. We're going to be podcasting this, Colin. Colin, we'll be podcasting throughout this episode because Ben is my name. Ben is my name. Colin. Colin. Ben, ben is my ben, name. Ben. 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 Finger on the phone. Finger on the phone. Finger it. Finger, finger it. Finger on the finger phone. The phone. Finger, finger the phone. Finger the phone. Finger. Finger the phone. Can you tell we're doing Dustin Hoffman here? <laughs> Colin. Colin. Can you tell we're saying this is this is an episode? Colin. Colin. Just make sure you know that Colin. My name is Ben. Colin. <laughs> Would you like me to cough on you? <laughs> finger the phone. 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 Uh, <laughs> Boy, this is a different movie than I remembered. <laughs> I don't know if you'd ever seen it. Never. Um, I, let's quickly jump into the history here. Uh, I have fond memories of the year 1995 and uh, a period of several months where it seemed like every movie that came out was R-rated and I couldn't see any of them. There was Crimson Tide and Outbreak and Bad Boys and Die Hard with a Vengeance and I had to wait for them all on VHS. So it was a wonderful fall season of getting each movie one by one at the video store and of all those i think this is the only one that i actually never saw again even though i remember liking it when i saw it you know re-watching it now i don't think there's anything wrong with the movie it's just that there's a lot about this movie that feels very 1995 like there is no way wolfgang peterson or dustin hoffman or morgan Freeman or anybody else involved in this makes this same movie 25 years later i don't know had you ever seen this before no, I hadn't. I owned this movie for a very long time because my grandmother, uh, I, I obviously, like most people, had two grandmothers, and I love them both dearly, but let's be honest, there was the good grandma and the bad grandma. You know, that generally came down to Christmas presents. And the bad grandma would often give you a Christmas present of something that had been sitting around a house for like 30 years, like, you know, 
I would constantly get Huckleberry Finn in novel form, like as a 23-year-old or something like that. My sister would get Barbies in her 20s. Cool. But every now and then she would go out somewhere and there would be the bargain DVD bin. She would, you know, give me an obscure 1970s black and white film that I'd never heard of or something like that. One year she gave me... Pat- black and white in the 70s? Yeah, I don't know. It's, Hobart no, didn't get colour till like 1990 or something <laughs> like that. Um, I randomly got Patch Adams one year. That was a good movie. I enjoyed Patch Adams. And then one oh, year sorry. she gave me Outbreak. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this one looks like it's actually got some people in it that I've heard of. And <laughs> for some reason it sat on my DVD shelf until the day I sold it. And I never watched it. So I finally watched this and... I like to defend movies in the 90s because, you know, you and I are similarish ages. That's what we grew up with, and it's kind of fun to go back and watch them. This movie, to me, is kind of like a extended episode of Days of Our Lives with a disease and a monkey. Um, just the, the acting in this, it's like, I almost feel like this is a parody film half the time. And even the poster, the poster, I think, sells it enough. Can I, can I just read the tagline on the on the poster here? Go for it. This animal carries a deadly virus, and the greatest medical crisis in the world is about to happen. Try to remain calm. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's literally the tagline on the poster, and it honestly looks like a grade 7 Photoshop project where they've just cut out the head of Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo, Morgan Freeman, and stuck a picture of a vicious-looking monkey in yellow impact font that says outbreak with a weird blended black and maroon background so um now, which which animal were they talking about in that poster yeah definitely renee the russo or the monkey renee russo. russo what a what a what a beast she is but yeah <laughs> i like it's odd watching this movie because of the times we're living in right now i didn't realize kevin spacey was in it and this is the first time we've ever covered a kevin spacey movie and i wish we had done this three years ago four years ago when it was appropriate to say the words i like kevin spacey um (laughs) but this movie like it actually has a lot of big names in it and it's i don't know is this this seems to have taken up a lot of popularity in the last couple of months on netflix but was this movie just forgotten about and i mean i could probably see why it was forgotten about but i I feel that for the cast that's in this movie this should be a movie that was talked long before an actual pandemic because based on the fact that it's kind of rubbish the stars alone sell this movie oh yeah i mean and and the the funny thing is like a couple of these actors you know were big names at the time like dustin hoffman had been a big name for 25 years Rene Russo had been a big name for two or three years you know Morgan Freeman had been around for longer but really broke through I guess the year before this with Shawshank Redemption you know we got an Oscar nomination became like a really big name but then it's the other ones like Kevin Spacey I mean there's a reason I didn't remember Kevin Spacey in this movie because at the time when I saw this movie when it first came out on video Kevin Spacey wasn't a thing yet. I think the usual suspects had probably come out, but like this was pre-Oscars and everything. You know, Cuba Gooding Jr., this is still a year away from Jerry Maguire. Uh, you know, Donald Sutherland, I mean, I probably had some recognition of him, but th- this is a cast that if you had even half of these names out now, it would be a big deal. You have all these names out now. I mean, th- this should be a classic. And, you know, the funny thing is Wolfgang Peterson, who's the director, I mean, he's a huge director and, and probably one of my you know favorite as far as blockbuster movie directors go. You know, I love The Perfect Storm. I love Air Force One. I love Troy. I love Das Boat. But 
I, I it wasn't until the credits rolled where I'm like, Wolfgang Peterson directed this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I typically follow anything Wolf. He hasn't made a movie in like you know years, but I'll follow anything he makes and go back and watch his old movies. But this is almost like the movie that time forgot, and now this you know virus outbreak is is reminding people, hey, there was a movie like this 25 years ago. And now that everybody's watching, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that this movie's kind of getting revived now because of this, because I almost feel like we're going to be more critical of it for the same reason that, you know, I watched contagion, for example, before this all hit, you know, around the time when it was still just, you know, the Chinese virus, excuse <laughs> a controversial phrase here. Uh, and I watched contagion. And then this was right around the time when hand sanitizers started to s- slowly get picked off the shelves. And I was picking apart even Contagion, which is a pretty realistic movie in comparison to this. I mean, like, there's no way that character has hand sanitizer six months later. Come on, people. <laughs> but this movie is just like, oh, I, I, I really wonder if even in 1995, before any of, you know, COVID-19 happened, if there were still people who were like, why are they so so worried about, you know, a hole in their suit when they're basically manhandling their suit with their bare hands afterwards? <laughs> like you're contaminating yourself regardless. Like there's just a lot of silly things in this movie. And then I'm glad you mentioned the acting too, because this is a great cast. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when you get a big movie like this that, you know, is maybe it turns out to be kind of average. It's like the actors always get a free pass. Oh, well, the actors, you know, they were good, even though obviously there's script problems. And if the actors aren't good, they'll be like, oh, well, obviously it's not the actor's fault. I think this is the actor's fault in this movie because there are moments where Dustin Hoffman is very good. And then there's moments where Dustin Hoffman is just unbearable. Morgan Freeman is arguably the worst performance in this movie. And and the only other thing I can compare it to is a movie he did uh, right after this, I guess, which was uh, with Keanu Reeves called Chain Reaction. And in that, he also played a semi-villain. I'm like, maybe Morgan Freeman just isn't cut out for being a villain. But then even Kevin Spacey, times Kevin Spacey, best thing in the movie. Times Kevin Spacey, worst thing in the movie. Times Cuba Gooding Jr., best thing in the movie, worst thing in the movie. Like, there is just something with this movie where where nothing hit. It's like the actors, the screenwriters, the director, they didn't know whether they were making a comedy at times, whether they were making a real gritty drama. Like, I just have no clue. But, like, really bad acting in this movie across the board. And I'm not going to just blame script or director. There are clear acting problems in this movie. There was one name you left out of that. That's Renee Russo. She's gold in this movie. She's, yes, she's, in everything. You know, absolutely <laughs> perfect. Um, but, yeah, it's you're right because there was some scenes in this and I'm going, wait, Morgan Freeman's a good actor. What's going on here? <laughs> because, like, I just didn't get it. And Dustin Hoffman's yeah. someone who, if I actually look at his filmography, I realistically haven't seen a lot of his films. I mean, Kramer vs. Kramer, I loved that as a kid, weirdly. Um, he was in, what, the Meet the Fockers or something like that. I mean, there's other ones that I have seen with him in it. But um, I think the thing that I found weird about this, and I actually read on the trivia that it kind of, would have been a better film had some of these other actors taken this role because I just, I had trouble with Dustin Hoffman playing this type of character because this should be, I actually legitimately in this movie was thinking like who was sort of a big action star in 1995 who could have pulled this off? And I thought, oh, Mel Gibson. And he actually was considered for this role. And that's to me where I'm thinking like, it feels a bit odd. I don't know if he just doesn't suit this kind of almost action hero style role. And that's where it felt weird to me. But Huh. It's it's also just, yeah, the acting is just, it honestly is like a soap opera at times, the way they're delivering yeah. these lines. And you have, like, 
I, I realise you've got to make things dramatic. I realise it's a movie, and I agree with you. There's so many things in this movie now, in our situation, that we can look at this and go, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, they're all in full face masks, but that nurse is in a wind wearing gloves and she's touching that person. Like, what the hell? But, like, why all of a sudden, throughout this outbreak movie, is there, like, oh, uh. a helicopter chase and I'm going to shoot you down? And what? Like... I don't. I feel like we're getting nitpicky already. We're not even to the movie, but it, it's just—it's an odd film. It's—it's it's an entertaining, odd, bad movie. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment because there definitely are parts of this that are bad, and then there's other parts where I find it very entertaining. Like I was watching this with Jamie last night. You know, I had to finish it on my own just because, you know, she wasn't going to stay up all night watching it or wasn't going to wake up early to watch it. But she was into enough. She's like, "Oh, okay. You know, can I? Can I just?" rewatch this tomorrow i'm like yeah by all means so it's it's not unentertaining but like it really feels like 1995 and it feels like you, it's funny you compare like days of our lives to me i almost felt like this was one of those made for tv movies because the 90s was filled with made for tv movies for stuff just like this you know um where it would be like a really exciting premise and then you'd watch it and be like well that was okay i remember they even made a y2k movie that was one of the ones i remember the best but on that the subject, this movie, just a little bit of history on it. If you look up online, it will say it's based on this book called The Hot Zone, uh, which apparently it wasn't. Apparently they kind of stole the idea for this or were inspired by the idea for this because I, I would have to rewatch the credits, but I don't think it's actually mentioned as based on The Hot Zone because one of the problems that happened when, when this movie was in development, they had been inspired by this article called The Hot Zone and then the author decided to make a book, the book rights were sold to another studio who basically had a competing movie, which was going to be called The Hot Zone, that was going to come out at the same time. And this is, you know, a, a, what, a year or two before the volcano Dante's Peak Battle, and then we had the Armageddon Deep Impact. But 1995, you just didn't compete with another movie. And maybe as a result of this, studios started saying, let's just go in and make competing movies. Because that other movie basically got shelved because they rush this into production and maybe there's something to the fact this is rushed, you know, whereas the other one ended up, I think only last year, eventually getting made into a miniseries. So uh, <laughs> there's some Hollywood history here, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, but uh, I'm guessing you haven't seen or heard of the 2019 eventual adaptation of the hot zone that was supposed to be competing with this. Not until I was reading a bit of the history about this. Cause yeah, I think they were trying to get like Robert Redford and Meryl Streep, to, to mm-hmm. be in the hot zone and, you know, again, a pretty decent cast by the looks of things. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I hadn't heard of Contagion until I was reading about this last night. And then I was thinking like, oh, man, why don't we watch Contagion? That sounds so much better. Um, but, yeah, it would have been interesting to have the Battle of the Outbreak movies in 95 because yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. And maybe that will be an extra month we can do this year since we've got a bit of free time on our hand. We can finally do the mm-hmm. Battle Month and do both the Volcano ones and both the Asteroid ones because we're all, both you and I are big fans of all four of them. So, yeah. That would have been unique to have this because that turned into more of a thing because you also had like, um, wasn't like Deep Blue Sea and Lake Placid fairly close yeah. to each other and there was... Um, Same summer. Wasn't there another pair of ones? There as was well? years later, but there was Day After Tomorrow and White House Down. Oh, not yeah. sorry, Day After Tomorrow. Uh, White House Down and um, oh, what's that other one? Yeah. Olympus Has Fallen. Yep. The yep, same year. Yep. Um, there, and yeah, no, there's been a few, but like the, the big ones, obviously, you know, Armageddon, Deep Impact, Volcano and, and Dante's Peak. But yeah, this would have 
this would have been very interesting. But, I mean, I think kind of when we came up with these ideas for end of the world movies, when we had to do some form of outbreaky disease movie, and I think we've sort of yeah. covered a few, because there's so many disasters. And the 90s kind of had a resurgence of disaster movies too. Um, mm. You know, obviously Independence Day came along. Um, there was, what, Daylight was sort of a disaster movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Titanic, technically, some people classify that as a disaster movie. You would in many other aspects. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, like, it was kind of a thing. And was it Daylight... 95 as well, wasn't that before? 96. 96, okay. Uh, I like that movie. So this kind of, I mean, if you're going to consider this a disaster movie, this kind of starts it, because this was a bigger hit than anybody expected, and it was really the next year with Independence Day and Daylight and everything that I guess it really kicked off. Mm, Yeah, yeah, and it's because I think they classify this as what a disaster, a medical disaster movie. Um, Mm. So, (laughs) Lots of exploding tubes of blood <laughs> yeah i just and just i think four academy award winners in this movie not all had won at that point i kevin spacey hadn't did he win it the next year cuba gooding jr you the said next the next year, year. Yeah. Uh, morgan freeman wouldn't win his for nearly a decade wouldn't he and dustin hoffman had won a couple by then but um Kevin Patrick Sp- Dempsey's still waiting on his. Yeah, Patrick, I was going to say, Patrick Dempsey's still waiting on his. Uh, Renee Russo, clearly, uh, still waiting on hers. And has Donald Sutherland been nominated before? I don't think he has. I mean, oh. he was he, his big breakthrough was the movie MASH, which won almost everything, but I don't think it won any acting awards. The original, not the TV show with Alan Alda. I think Alan Alda played the version that Donald Sutherland played in the movie. So, I mean, he'd been involved in major movies. Well, he... Yeah, I'm just reading here. He is often regarded as one of the best actors to have never received an Academy Award nomination, but he has received a Canadian Academy Award. So, um, uh, of course, he didn't has. know that was a thing, but good for him. <laughs> <laughs> are they are they still a thing? The Canadian Academy Awards? Yeah, well, I, I don't think was it called in a Canadian Academy Award there, or was it called the Genies? Uh, it was it's, they're Genies now, but uh, they obviously used to be called the Canadian yeah. Academy Award. Okay, well, they, they actually changed it again because they used to have two award shows. They would have the Canadian, I guess, the Canadian Emmys, which was the Gemini's, and then the Canadian Oscars for movies, which was the Genies. And now they've combined it into one award show and just called like the Canadian Screen Awards or something. Yeah, well, that was the Australia. We had the AFI, the Australian Film Institute Awards, and now they're called the Actors. Um, and they they have television categories there, but we still have our own TV awards called the Logies. Kind of, they're our Emmys. <laughs> yes, the worst name they're ever called the Logies, um, <laughs> which is seriously the biggest award show in Australia every year. It's it's kind of trashy and hilarious to watch at the same time, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, can I just want to point out, I'm going to forget to say this in this episode, I'm saying this now, Donald Sutherland, my lord, he looks like his son in this movie. I mean, I realise it's the other way around, Kiefer Sutherland looks like his yeah. dad, <laughs> but like this movie, my god, I thought this was Kiefer with a bit of grey hair. Jeez, uh, the family mm-hmm. resemblance is striking. Yeah, the older Kiefer gets, the more you see it. Yeah. Um, what a beautiful the family older- they are. Well, I mean, we talk about, you know, Pierce Brosnan being beautiful and double up, but like, Kiefer Sutherland, I mean, you know, he might be up there for me as the one man more so than Pierce that I, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to say, but what a beautiful man Kiefer Sutherland is. Uh, but not Patrick Dempsey? Uh, look, don't... I mean, yeah, he's okay. I mean, I respect the man more now that he kind of quit acting to race cars, but, I mean, I still can't forgive yeah. him for... But, I mean, what was the purpose of Grey's Anatomy? The whole storyline revolved around the the looks of one man, and it's still going, and he has been in the show for how long? So, <laughs> yeah. 
Come on. Very solid point. Um, let's jump into the movie here. There's already a bunch of stuff that's just really dumb. Uh, so the movie starts with a whole bunch of text that I couldn't remember and couldn't keep up with. It's got it's it's basically like reading a novel <laughs> for the opening scene because it's about 16 paragraphs. But uh, we find out that it's, it's Zaire in 1967. Uh, so we're going all the way back. Uh, what would that be? 28 years prior to this movie starting. And uh, there's an outbreak in a small village of Motaba or Motamba or something like that. <laughs> and. Uh, people are dying everywhere, and we have a bunch of guys behind masks, the Americans, and they, they make a very conscious effort to dwell on the name Billy so that you'll remember this is supposed to be Morgan Freeman 28 years later. They say something like, uh, we're here to help them, Billy. <laughs> well, this is the whole movie. And, they repeat yeah. names like a hundred times Billy. in every Billy. sentence. They literally, <laughs> like, if you have any troubles remembering characters' names, don't worry. They're going to say each other's names 38,000 yeah. times every single sentence. I, and it's no joke because before this scene is over, I'm basically thinking, what do you want to bet that Billy is one of the main characters 28 years from now? <laughs> Uh, but we never get them unmasked because, I guess, no room in the budget for young Morgan Freeman. Um, <laughs> they should have had this be Donald Sutherland. They could have cast Kiefer. Yeah. Kiefer could have been Billy. Oh, could have been. Or Don- young Billy or something. Second time uh, in movie TV history where this casting of the Sutherlands was bad. I mean, 24 season six, you know, James Cromwell. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he looks like Kiefer Sutherland. Why don't you get Donald Sutherland, you idiots? Mm-hmm. Come on, think, people. Um, I don't even know if Donna Sutherland is supposed to be the other character. Or do we even know who the other character is supposed to be? I just know Billy because his name's mentioned. Uh, I've just heard Billy as well. And that one guy who's like, you're American. You can save me. (laughs) (laughs) Only the Americans. (laughs) Uh, But, of course, they are the Americans. And this is, uh, I guess, right around, you know, Vietnam time, even though we're on a different continent. And they say they're going to send supplies to help these people in the village. They're all dying very rapidly. And so we see a parachute dropped, and yay, parachute's dropping! But no, it's a bomb, which I have to make a note. If you want to bomb the place, why are you parachuting it? (laughs) It makes no sense, logically, why they would parachute a bomb in, other than to try to tease the audience. Oh, they're saved! Uh, 28 years later, we get a whole bunch of other text on the screen as we're being walked around a very important lab. Um, I may be skipping some stuff here. Uh, oh, I get no. Sorry, we got the monkey kidnapped first, don't we? Oh, I think twenty years later we're back in the same village. I think the lab like that. comes and then the monkey gets kidnapped when Dustin Hoffman's in the thing. So we've got yeah. this weird scene too of today's your last day, isn't it? And then that kind of goes nowhere. And next minute, Renee Russo has dogs. I don't, I don't understand. Yes. It. <laughs> the 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 pacing of this movie, the, the pacing, the tone, everything's all messed up. But. Uh, uh, basically, a monkey gets kidnapped at some point, um, <laughs> and we get a whole bunch of text showing us all the different levels of <laughs> uh, research for viruses. So we get the low-level research, which probably included, like, I don't know, chicken pox or something. I can't even remember. Uh, we get the mid-level one, which I love that anthrax is mid-level. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think anthrax is the one you want to be most careful of. But anthrax was in, like moderate security where people are basically taking off their hazmat suit before they're even out the door uh and then you get the extreme one which we know is gonna play a big role in this movie later on um dustin hoffman is bathing his dogs he's, does that feel good lewis lewis does it feel good 
You like that, Lewis? You like the bubbles? Bubbles, Lewis? Lewis? Bubbles? Bubbles? Lewis? Lewis? Bubbles? I think you're a good boy, Lewis. You're a good boy. And he gets a phone call. Um, <laughs> which, of course, you could be setting up a very serious movie here. But after he gets the phone call, <laughs> the scene takes a detour very quickly as the dogs have jumped on the couch. And he has a six-minute-long dialogue scene. Lewis, Lewis, were you the one that disobeyed me first? It was you, Lewis, wasn't it? You boys are bad. Bad boy, Lewis. And you, you followed him and disobeyed me? Oh, bad boy, whatever your name is. But, Lewis, you're the instigator. You're the instigator, Lewis. Lewis, you Lewis. Look very, Lewis. He says, you look very guilty. <laughs> Which, it's kind of funny in a movie that hasn't just committed genocide on a small village. I don't know, two minutes earlier. Um... He has to go in for work, so he's dropping the dogs off at his ex's house, which is Rene Russo. Woo-hoo! There she is. I just want to say, maybe she's on to something. Like, there's, there's nothing great about her performance in this movie. She's adequate, but she's probably going to be the only one that we're not going to say, yeah, that was a really bad scene. So, I mean, she played it safe in this movie, and it worked. Um, so they have an argument over when he's going to pick up the dogs, which I swear she says... You know, if you're not back here by Friday, I'm leaving. But then he comes back later on Sunday and she's still there, which is going to be an even bigger problem when we get to that scene. He's upset because she's got boxes for him to take and all the pictures of them together are in these boxes. And he's like, why are you giving me all the pictures of us together? It's like, I don't want them. You have it. I don't want them either. (laughs) Well, I don't want them. I don't want them. Just somebody throw the pictures away. I don't care. (laughs) This is Days of Our Lives, right? This is what you were talking about? Yes, and when he, like, throws them and he's like, You take the pictures! Damn it! Exactly. Turns to the head with Does a dramatic she... head turn. <laughs> Does she have a name in this? What is her name? Uh, it does get repeated about 300 times, um, but I'm still calling her Renee, Renee Russo. Renee, Renee, the pictures. Pictures, Renee. Pictures, pictures, Robbie. Renee. Pictures, Renee. Robbie. 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 Robbie, Renee. Robbie, Renee. I don't know which name to call you. Take the pictures. Renee, 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 Renee. And the dogs are in these pictures. Like, just cut your ex out and keep a picture of you and your dog. <laughs> uh, but uh, they're off to Zaire, to Dustin Hoffman, that is, is off to Zaire to um, investigate this latest outbreak. Cuba Gooding Jr., the, the young recruit who is really bad in these opening scenes. Whenever Cuba Gooding Jr. has no confidence, it's just annoying. Uh, when he gets his conf- when he when Cuba gets his groove back later on, I'm into it. But here, it's just uh, he's like, yes sir, yes sir, <laughs> very over the top. Whereas we get the polar opposite, Kevin Spacey, who's lounging on some type of medical crate, offering a bite out of his half-eaten chocolate bar. There is nothing that doesn't age well <laughs> in a movie about a pandemic than Kevin Spacey asking a man to share his chocolate bar with him. Uh, but Kevin Spacey's obviously the, the the cool guy here, which is weird. And Cuba Gooding Jr. is the not cool guy. Uh, they get to this village, and the bodies are just everywhere. They look grotesque. And I don't know if this is the reason this movie was R-rated, because it looks kind of graphic at times, but it's pretty toned down compared to what we're used to, which makes it all that much worse when Cuba Gooding Jr. is basically saying, I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. Don't worry about me. And then he gets in there, and he sees a couple of bodies, and he throws up inside his helmet. And, of course, Cuba panics. and Don't take off your helmet! Don't take off your helmet! Cuba, Cuba! <laughs> Helmet! Helmet, Cuba! Cuba, Cuba! Cuba, helmet! Cuba, helmet! Cuba, and then Cuba! He, he, you see the spit blobs everywhere inside the helmet. He rips it off. They're like, no! And then suddenly a man walks in. It is not airborne. <laughs> Which... Hello, Arnie. Exactly. <laughs> Arnie and Zaire. This would have been important information to have earlier on. And it also 
makes you wonder because we learn later on that this virus is at this point before it mutates or whatever before we get the different strain it is passed on through direct contact from people like kissing or sharing of blood or stuff like that we got a lot of old men old women young men young women (laughs) children in this village are they all french kissing or something because every single person is dead from direct contact like it's once you find out later on how it's how it's contracted, it's just disgusting to look back on this village. It's also really funny that the last time we saw a village in Zaire, they had dropped a bomb on it, and we cut to this village, and it's half burnt. Like, has the fire been burning for 28 years? <laughs> Context, Wolfgang. Um, we find out that there is an alarmingly high fatality rate as they're doing their... Uh, uh, their reports later on. Oh, yeah, it's also really funny here to see them. They know it's not airborne, but they are handling bodies with their bare hands <laughs> while wearing masks over their face. <laughs> A lot of things don't age well now that you know uh, the age we're living in now. Uh, when they're on the plane and Kevin Spacey is uh, removing some of the dramatic flair from Dustin Hoffa's report, which says alarmingly high mot- mortality rate of 100. <sighs> <laughs> Really sorry, but um, 100% is not alarmingly high. It is 100%. You don't have to say alarmingly high at 100%. That is everything. That is everybody's dead. There is nothing else to it. Uh, but Kevin Spacey is the cool guy, so he has to take those words out because it's just not necessary. Um, what else do we want to talk about here? Uh, let's just get all the way up until the, the virus gets do it. Out broken here we get through um, it quickly <laughs> alarming the high mortality rate uh there there there's a line something about i walked into my party smelling like dirty socks uh, i don't know what that was but it was a line in the movie um <laughs> kevin spacey invites himself to morgan freeman his boss's party to tell him how they need to quarantine this immediately and they need to take all these precautions and we find out that that you know, I think I said Kevin Spacey. I think I meant Dustin Hoffman. That Dustin Hoffman has a habit of jumping to conclusions. And Morgan Freeman's like, "No, we're not going to do this." Do you remember the time in '89? I was wrong. Do you remember the time in '92? I was wrong. Have you ever been right, Dustin Hoffman? <laughs> it's no wonder he's saying no to these. But it, what's really makes this scene funny is that they cut in mid scene, and Dustin Hoffman has a big drink in hand, and he's telling him, "Why are you crashing my party to tell me about this?" He crashes the party and invites himself to take a big drink. It's just, it's a, a really funny visual if you can catch it. Um, uh, what else happens here? Uh, they, 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 they admire this when they start investigating it, uh, the, the virus. They say, you got to love its simplicity. One billionth our size and it's beating us. And Kevin Spacey is like, what do you want to do? Take it to dinner? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kevin Spacey would, maybe without its permission. Yeah, exactly. But- Kevin Spacey's taking everybody in this movie to dinner and doing terrible <laughs> things to them. Uh, sorry, too soon. Oh, um, makes me sad. I don't like this. Come on. But in a way, it's nice to watch a movie and everybody forgot Kevin Spacey. We shouldn't have said Kevin Spacey. We should have called this somebody else. We should have said Philip Seymour Hoffman. Christopher Plummer. <laughs> Christopher Plummer here. Christopher, Christoph Waltz uh, <laughs> is saying, what do you want to do? Take it to dinner? Uh, in the midst of this, Rene Russo also gets angry because Dustin Hoffman shows up two days late to pick up the dogs. Apparently she didn't leave. She says she has to get a plane to Atlanta. They have a debate whether the dog should be riding the cab or coming home with him. I don't know how she booked seats for the dog on the airplane. Yeah. Cause this is a last minute change in her own flight, but the dogs go with her to Atlanta people. 
make some sense out of it. I don't know. Um, and they're allowed in the taxi? Is that a thing? Can you put dogs in a taxi and the taxi driver's just cool with this? They they shoot one of the dogs to go up front and, like, the, the driver doesn't mind? <laughs> like, personal space. Uh, social distancing. They, social distancing. Not from animals, though. They can't contract the virus. Uh, actually, in this case, they can. Uh, and, and in all of this, a cargo ship that had kidnapped the monkey... Uh, which we should mention is the monkey from Friends. I don't know if you were aware yeah, of that. Yeah, no, I was going to point out we talked about the all-star cast, but uh, yeah. this is, the, and still alive to this day. Can I just point out, uh, this this monkey, Betsy, is a white-headed uh, capuchin monkey, still alive. Capuchin. capuchin. <laughs> um, but what is funny about this is that I remember this being a thing after the movie came out. That there, there was for a while after when, when Friends really broke through and it was the biggest show on TV and there was so much craze about the cast that all the cast members released movies and all the movies bombed. And for years, nobody in Friends could actually have a hit movie. Yeah. And it was always a gag that the highest grossing film from a Friends cast member was Outbreak because of the monkey. And there was uh, a joke in one in, the, in an episode where Marcel, that's the monkey in Friends, comes back. He's a film star. And the movie that they're filming, it was a Super Bowl episode because it had like Jean-Claude Van Damme in it, Julia Roberts, all that sort of stuff. Oh, uh, And the, the movie they're filming is Outbreak 2, The Disease Takes Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which still might be less ludicrous than some things in this movie. Well, I want to see Jean-Claude Van Damme and Julia Roberts in this movie. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that they go, let's get the hottest actress on the planet and Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> <laughs> well, because Julia Roberts, I think that came about because um, I don't know if they started dating because of being on Friends or they were dating at the time, but Julia Roberts and Matthew Perry were dating. So there's a couple. What a there's a forgotten wow. couple in the history of Matthew Perry with Julia Roberts. Nearly James Bond dated Julia Roberts. Matthew <laughs> Perry, could he be any more luckier? <laughs> um but Patrick Dempsey, uh grungy Patrick Dempsey, we should say here. <laughs> very very nineteen ninety five. Future China's sexiest man in the world, Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. McDreamy himself, here he is. <laughs> Uh, but he is, uh, I guess, unloading stuff from a cargo ship, sees the monkey, decides he wants to sell it on the black market, uh, <laughs> which there's a lot of problems here, too, because he's unloading this, a cargo ship that unloaded, that came from Africa. Now, the only coast that Africa, an African ship is coming to is going to be the East Coast. He gets in his car, apparently drives to California, <laughs> tries to sell a monkey at a pet store in California, can't sell it drives partway home and then hops on an airplane the rest of the way real geography problems in this movie that have not been sorted out i don't think by anybody but i don't know how he goes from the east coast to the west coast in a car drives partway back and then takes an airplane but uh we get what i think is the most unintentionally hilarious montage that i totally want to re-edit here because the the montage of the actual outbreak where he gets rejected this pet store the monkey scratches the guy (laughs) And everything, you know, completely falls apart from there. To me, plays a, like a Looney Tunes sequence. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks this, but a combination of just a bunch of pratfalls and ridiculous visual gags with really bad acting and really bad dialogue. Like, I was watching this scene as, I can't take that monkey. 
that that monkey's a girl. Oh, the monkeys lose. Patrick Dempsey, here, here you go, monkey. Oh, he's on an airplane. I don't feel so good. Can I have a bite of your cookie, mister? Oh, it's okay, little guy. Give me a big kiss. Crap fall over. And then the best that really became Looney Tunes for me was the guy in the lab <laughs> where a beaker of blood just explodes for no reason in his Whoa! The doctor, the doctor guy when he's like trying to save his friend. Oh no, it's he's trying to save Rudy. He's like, come on, Rudy, goddammit, you can pull together! He's like shaking this guy, the worst doctor in the world. He's not even giving him needles. He's like, come on, Rudy, you can do it! violently by the shoulders. Rudy! Rudy! Come on, Rudy! <laughs> or that guy in the, the, the theatre who's, like, coughing everyone, and then he's, like, pushing through people, and then that one, that he's like, I need a glass of water, and that woman behind this, <laughs> And then the guy getting his temperature taken or whatever, <laughs> he looks repulsive. He's like, I don't want to get sick before I see my girlfriend. <laughs> And when, when Dempsey dies and his girlfriend, I don't want to die! What's up, Doc? You're dead! Let's make that happen. Let's get at the sequence. Anyways, that's the outbreak. Best sequence of the movie, hands down. <laughs> it's, um... You know the, the the tropes of disaster movies in the nineties, like, and it's it's even transcended into to modern day disaster movies. And we'll talk about the day after tomorrow in twenty twelve. Similar tropes. You've always got to have like a divorced couple, and like, oh, will they get back together? And generally, the man is a deadbeat father. He's not a doesn't often not a father in this movie, but he's still a bit of a you know. He's deadbeat. He's the one who likes the dogs. She's yeah. the one who hates them. Well, yeah, true. Uh, but it's just it's just a thing, isn't it? And then it's kind of... Also, you've got to have the trope of, well, this guy has been wrong in the past, but he's going to be right this time. Like, Pierce Brosnan in Dante's Peak, you know, he's been wrong in the past. He evacuated cities. and But now, this time, no one's going to listen to him because he's been wrong in the past. Um, I don't understand some of the logic in this movie. Like, you can cut out all this Zaire stuff because... Like, just have the monkey come to the States. That's all you need. Like, it, it, it's... It's just come? Yeah, just... We'll <laughs> just <get> in. <laughs> little Marcel with his little hat on and a passport. <laughs> um, yeah, I, like, it just it just seems odd. And why... I don't understand. They send Dustin Hoffman, Kevin Spacey, Cuba Gooding Jr. to go check this out. They come back and they're basically like, this is bad. And yet they're all like, oh, no, it's all right. And that's all because, oh, it's a cover-up. Ooh, like... This cover-up story is just so stupid. Like, it's this is a movie about an outbreak. That, the movie is called Outbreak. You don't need to have a secret conspiracy from the government to weaponize this. Yeah. It, it, there's no purpose to this plot. Like, it's the movie's scary. Oh, the movie about the asteroid destroying the Earth. We have to have a government conspiracy that they oh, yeah. controlled the asteroid to... To wipe out half the pop, it's a James <laughs> Bond plot. Like it's almost, it is almost very James Bondian. This like, is, but is this the reason why people right now 
are saying, oh, this is all a scheme by Zoom yes. or Charmin. <laughs> exactly. Their prices. The environmental people, now that greenhouse gases have gone down, I wonder why, because they started yeah. a disease. And, like, the thing, too, that I it took me so long to click, and it's literally one of the thousand pieces of text in the movie. This movie is all text and names. That's all it is. But, but did you notice there's no... Well, it's yes. just text. I know, right? They they didn't start that to Independence Day a year after. Um, but like this text at the beginning, when we learn that it is the USAMRIID, which is the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, <laughs> is this a thing? Like, does the US Army need a, a medical research? Like, isn't that what what is it? CID is for the World Health Organization? Like. Americans that arrogant that it's like, yes, we need to have disease research in our army because fuck them, yeah, yeah, we're America. Like, it just, (laughs) I don't get it. And this is where this, the whole time I'm wondering, why is Dustin Hoffman saluting Morgan Freed? Like, what's he, isn't he a doctor? I, I didn't understand it. I think they're all doctors. They're just medical doctors in the military, which, I mean, it might be a thing, but I feel like the decision, you have these two separate groups in this movie you have the military doctors and then you have the cdc doctors cdc yeah this this is only so that you could have a plausible action sequence we're not going to have cdc doctors jumping from a helicopter onto a (laughs) lifeboat and you know if you are you'd have to have an explanation but hey if they're military doctors then they might do that yeah it's 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 odd um and the thing too like with the you talk about some of the dialogue like this serious movie and then all of a sudden you've got dustin hoffman talking about his dog and being jealous and whatever the hell that's going on there like again this is another thing that they can pull off in some of these disaster movies and and some that they can't like independence day a classic example of pulling it off so well like the chemistry and kind of the the fine line between humor and seriousness uh twister we that was one of the very first movies we ever covered on this show we talked about how the chemistry between the cast and the way you can mix that seriousness with the jokey side of things perfect i mean look at movies today marvel are renowned for it they kind of toe the line there and a lot of movies try to replicate it this is a movie that tries and fails miserably um, there, there's one sequence in this movie where that guy's talking about taking a leak. I know I'm like jumping way ahead, but I did not understand the point of that. Like it was just so strange. Wait, what was the line? The the I bit when that helicopter was like, oh yeah, he's um he's a uh, oh he's taking a leak. Like I thought he was about to say that like his friend was dead, but no, he's <laughs> taking a okay sure. Um, but I mean. Just everything that's going on here to set this up. It's just, it's odd. Um, Kevin Spacey, though, sorry, unpopular opinion in 2020. I still love this man. Like, not his personal life, what he's allegedly done. Yeah. Uh, but as an actor, he's always been one of my favourite actors. And there are definitely some moments in this movie where, yeah, it's a little bit silly. But still, you know, he's 95% on song here, Kevin Spacey. He just, he's just, mm-hmm. just the way he lands his lines and... You know, he's a, he's a redhead as well. Good for you, Kevin Spacey, with the, the, the gingerness. Um, but Cuba Gooding Jr., yeah, when he's, like, vomiting in his thing, and when he's, like, takes his helmet off, and the way Dustin Hoffman's like, don't take the helmet off, damn it, get him into quarantine! Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, it's okay, it's not airborne. Like, it's... Yeah, just, they don't know who this guy is either. Yes. Oh, it's just so funny the way they do that. But, um, and is this the, I don't understand. Like, you're right with, like, the geography. It makes no sense. But why does Dempsey need to go to Boston 
to weirdly make out with his girlfriend so, like, two people die just so we have a scene where Rene Russo and crew in Atlanta have this big party, like, it's okay, it's contained, yay! And then all of a sudden they're like, lol, just kidding, it's all in California, we're screwed. Like, <laughs> what's the point of that? It's If it's meant to be a red herring of all things that are good, it's over in two seconds. I don't yeah. understand it. Yeah, and that, that line they gave, I mean, they, they almost were onto something there because it, it made me think... Uh, what is the exact line? It says, okay, there's a 24-hour incubation period. So, And I kind of like the movie when it's focusing on this, when it is being a little more realistic, and you're like, well, this is how they would actually have to handle this. Okay, so if it's only a 24-hour incubation period, if nobody gets sick within 24 hours, we're good. They're, like, counting down the seconds. Like, how are you going to know the exact second? And what if it's slightly longer than 24 hours for some people? What if you simply didn't find out somebody was sick, and then they infected somebody else halfway through? Like, you can't just be like, Five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> Disease! <laughs> and then a phone call comes in. Sorry, we got another sickness. Oh, man, when we jumped the gun. Yeah. And this is Cancel the cake. These, cancel this, the balloons. This coronavirus has destroyed us watching this movie, hasn't it? Like, it has. <laughs> so, so help us God in the next couple of weeks when we do, you know, 2012 with the, the whole whatever. I don't even know how the world ends in that movie. There's lots of things happening under <laughs> oh, the ground. <laughs> yes. When we eventually do Armageddon, hopefully we don't have a mas- a, a masteroid, an asteroid coming to Earth. Uh, otherwise, Max. Bruce Willis needs to get on, get on a space shuttle quick. <laughs> um... Quickly, just to mention on Kevin Spacey, like, you're completely right. I, I mean, even Judy Dench said it. Like, you can't take away from the work an actor already has done. And if Judy Dench said it, you know it's true. Exactly. So everyone listen to Dame Judy Dench. Yes. Uh, like, there's a podcast I actually really like. Um, it, it, I'd recommend it for people if, if you're a big if you're a big movie buff. <laughs> it's called Double R7. <laughs> no. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of it now is. Um, they 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 cover all the AFI top 100 movies. I mentioned it on several other episodes that we've done on here, and um, the the problem I have with it though is that they're often looking back on this movie, saying, "Oh, well, this person was apparently a racist, so should we like this movie?" I'm like you you can't change it. It's called Unspooled. That's what it is. Uh, but they often get into that about like, "Oh, but you know, I'm really conflicted because of how terrible this person was in real life." It's like, well, first of all, if you're going back even further than Kevin Spacey, like you can't fault everybody. Times were different. You that is an excuse in some cases, not an excuse, but it is something that you can. Uh, you know, not necessarily hold it against a person in the exact same way. But in the case of Kevin Spacey, like, I don't care what he did, his performances are still brilliant. And yeah. you can't stop enjoying a performance when you're playing a character because of what a person did in real life. I always use the argument, there's a lot of people I know who will who will say for Tom Cruise, oh, I don't like him because of his personal opinions. And I'll be like, well, what are your feelings on Johnny Depp? Because he's, you know, a pretty big scumbag in real life. And, you know, his performance, Mark Wahlberg, everybody loves Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg blinded a Vietnamese man through a racial attack when he was a teenager. And he, to this day, won't even apologize for it, but yet people love Mark Wahlberg. I'm not going to hold something against Mark Wahlberg. I'm not going to hold something against Kevin Spacey if I'm just enjoying a character they're playing. What I particularly love in this, and, and what I didn't realize I missed so much, even though there are bad moments, is Kevin Spacey as the supporting man. Because he exploded so quickly that he just became a leading man. And I don't think that's his strength. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from you know so many of the 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 great lead performances he had but this guy had 
1995, maybe one of the most incredible years anybody ever had. You want to include Outbreak in there. He had usual suspects. He had seven. I mean, he just came out of nowhere. And those were all supporting roles. And that's where I think he's actually best. And this movie kind of reminded me of how great he could be in a character that just sort of pops in and out and just really gets your attention versus just being the guy front and center. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And just on your point, too, I'm completely in agreement with you about, you know, judging a person on their who they are and, and their roles because y- y- we do live in a day and age where people don't separate them and it's kind of as soon as you find someone is bad or have done things and he's a horrible person in real life it's it's almost like oh well everything they've done has to be discredited and I don't I don't agree with that I mean it's it's tricky for some people but yeah I, I can still appreciate Kevin Spacey. Uh, I mean, think about Robert Downey Jr. He was the laughing yeah. stock in the late 90s and 2000s about, you know, that Winona Ryder. Remember when she kind of got caught mm-hmm. shoplifting and she was kind of blacklisted and everything like that? I mean, Mel Gibson, I I mean, he's sort of recovered, but I mean, <laughs> still maybe a little bit tarnished. But you, you, you look at how big he liking. was and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't stop liking what he did in Lethal Weapon. Maybe if there's a line in the movie where, you know, it's semi-racist, okay, maybe then you're going to, don't know about that, but they're playing characters. If they're doing a good job, you're not going to care. Or maybe you have some reservation, I don't want to support a movie. We're watching this movie for free, I don't care about that. But uh, anyways, Kevin Spacey, Cuba Gooding Jr., I think both of them kind of got saddled with being leading men, even though they are stronger supporting performers. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. is... Well, snow dogs. What, what, we, I, sorry, I just I, thought of Snow Dogs. No. You're talking about Cuba Gooding Jr. You're talking about lead roles, not their strong yeah. suit, Snow Dogs. Uh, I've never but seen like, it, but I'm just bringing it up for Noah. The, the funny <laughs> thing is, you know, I don't remember uh, that he was in Outbreak, but if you look at Cuba Gooding Jr., you know, from Jerry Maguire, or even include As Good As It Gets, because that came out pretty much the same time, we have As Good As It Gets, Jerry Maguire, Outbreak, Blown Away, a few good men, uh, Boys in the Hood. I mean, some of the, like, Boys in the Hood's a more lead role, but the majority of what he was doing was supporting roles. And this was at a time, let's also remember, when you didn't have more than one black actor in a movie. And mm. this movie has two. And Cuba Gooding Jr. was sort of starting to break through, but then all of a sudden, you know, he makes it big as a leading man, <laughs> and all of his movies bomb. You get Snow Dogs, you get Boat Trip. I mean, maybe the the... Error is him is in comedies as opposed to dramatic movies. That could be the problem. But I mean, Except for Radio. Rat Race. Rat Race, great movie. Great movie, yes. Radio, not so much. But uh, anyways, some love for our supporting performers there. And Q, let's be honest, Cuba Gooding Jr. is not exactly a, a highly respected man now. Didn't he get done for assault or something recently? Or is he... Did he? I think he got me too'd. Sorry, is, Cuba. Is this... <laughs> Or is this like that, who is that guy that you... No, said it's was not like Larry the Cable Guy or whoever it yeah, was that I screwed up with. No, this is this is legit. I, I, I did pay... This was within no, the last yeah. 12 months. I did look this up. He like, I think there was a video of him. He was in a bar and he was kind of... It looked like he was touching a woman and then she came out and said he, he didn't ask. She didn't want it. And then he said she did. I don't know. There was a whole... I don't know what happened. I don't and know where he You know he what? Is. Good news for those of you following the news. Uh, his trial is scheduled to start on April 21st, 2020, yesterday. Oh. I'm sure it's still happening. Yep. Uh, good, um, for, good for Cuba Gooding. Good for him. What? I don't know where Gooding. I'm at with that. <laughs> good for good. Uh, let's get through another big section of the movie here. So Renee Russo has been called in to help. Originally, she didn't want to help, but eventually she she does. And 
this whole movie is just her and Dustin Hoffman kind of secretly working together and both disobeying direct orders. And again, I don't know why, because you could have just made this one organization, but hey, you have to have an action sequence. Can can I just really quickly ask quickly as well, while we're on the topic of those two, no chemistry between these two at all. I don't see them as a couple in any way. I'm sorry, but I don't. Yeah, I mean, a part of the problem too, I think is just the tone of this movie because they're introduced as like this bickering couple, which would work in a comedy but it doesn't work here and then there just seems to be no transition they they keep talking about how they're at odds and then suddenly out of nowhere they're just working together like there's no story built for these characters and any type of relationship they have but i i will agree with you that it's not like their chemistry just jumps off the screen uh, i don't think anybody's chemistry jumps off the screen in this movie except for uh, the monkey the monkey yeah the monkey and that little girl oh, unbelievable chemistry. wow yeah uh, but uh, so she's helping out there. Uh, like you said, there's a scene with the, you know, it's been 24 hours. We're in the clear. <laughs> and a minute later, the call comes in. But um, there uh, was, uh, I guess, one of the people who, who died, they wanted to do an autopsy and nobody's willing to cut this guy open <laughs> except for some frail old man who apparently has Parkinson's. <laughs> they're just OK with him doing this. Why are they so uh, scared? Because they're all like extra sharp, you know, safety. And it's like. Dude, how many of these people are cutting themselves in autopsies? Like, why is all of a yeah. sudden you're like, oh, not this time? I can't. Like, if they're cutting open a guy who's got, like, I don't know, AIDS or something, are they just like blase? Oops, cut myself, got AIDS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, is, is this something they need an infomercial? Are you a mortician who's tired of cutting yourself with people's <laughs> autopsies? Then you need these new chainmail autopsy gloves. <laughs> and just throughout the course of this movie, the amount of times that people puncture their suits, yes. puncture their fingers, <laughs> they're all complete idiots because they don't know how to handle a simple scalpel. Um, but they don't show us – again, weird that this movie's rated R because – they cut away from a graphic. If you were going to allow yourself to deal with the R rating, which would normally affect box office gross, then you think you would want to keep in some of the stuff that would make it an R rated movie. But they do this autopsy, and then it's just, you wouldn't believe what we saw in there. It was like a bomb went off inside him. Then show us it's an R rated movie. Like you have license here. You can get away with it. Um,. Uh, we get Kevin Spacey, or not? I keep calling Kevin Spacey Dustin. I just wish Kevin Spacey played Dustin Hoffman's character. Would we yes. expect or ex- accept Kevin Spacey more as the lead in this movie? Yeah, I, I, I think that would work better. Kevin Spacey and Rene Russo would have chemistry. Yes, guaranteed. Um, but this is where he, he sneaks away so he can go to help Rene Russo when he's been told, no, you're not to go there. Uh, this is the finger on the phone scene, which if, <laughs> if nobody watched this movie recently, go back and watch it. Because he basically said, normally you have a sequence where somebody's trying to sneak their way past security. Mission Impossible does this really well. You know, sometimes Mission Impossible, they're like, okay, we got a mask or we're going to hack into the system. But they're, they're like, okay, uh, we're supposed to do this. Just just check with your boss. Check with your boss. And then they'll find a way to scare a person into not checking with their boss. Or they'll hijack the phone so they call somebody else. Here we just get him going and saying, you know what? I'm supposed to be on a plane out to, uh, where is it? Uh, wherever, California. You get on the, the 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 phone there, and you call the general, and you tell him that uh, you're not letting me on the plane. Okay, I'll pick up the phone. No, 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 wait. On second thought, don't pick up the phone. No, no, no. Put your finger on the phone. Finger on the phone. Finger on the phone. And he just <laughs> literally repeats, finger on the phone, fingering the phone, fingering, yes. fingering, phone, 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 finger the phone, fingering the phone, over and over again. Whatever it is he's trying to say, it goes on for approximately half the movie, which is why we're going to get through this very quickly. That's the R uh, writing right there, because the word fingering was mentioned. Because he said fingering the phone, yeah. <laughs> fingering, fingering. But 
you think this would be a great excuse to show how smart your leading man is where he sneaks one past, but he basically says, hey, pick up the phone and call the general. Okay. No, no, no. On second thought, don't. No, no. I'm telling you, don't do that. And the guy, okay. <laughs> it's just such a bad scene because you could have done so many things with it. And eventually the guy just says, all right, you can go. And he just leaves. Uh, I don't know why they needed that scene. Um, uh, the, the, yeah, there was the sequence uh, where there's the protesters uh, where they find out. Oh, first they find out it's airborne, which actually I really did like. Like Wolfgang Peterson, he is great with visuals. He is fantastic with suspense when he's got good material. And the sequence where they're all in the hospital and they're like, we have another patient here that's showing the symptoms, but he hasn't been in contact with any people in quarantine. And he sort of looks up through the um, the the vent and you just get this tracking shot going through the vents. And then when they come out on the other side, all one shot, you see Dustin Hoffman looking up from a different room and he's like, it's airborne. And they just cut there. That was a really effective shot and line and everything. Uh, but the uh, immediately they cut to the after that and they're like, it's airborne. We got We got to seal this place off. And they're all just walking out like you're all in the same air. This is where they start taking off their suits and handling it with their bare hands and not worrying about anything. Like, there's just so many different problems with with the logistics of their quarantine in this movie, which we probably wouldn't have picked apart 25 years of what we are now. Um, and the protester, this is the, the, the part exactly right here. These protesters, which, okay, this is topical now, but this is just where I want to give the human race a little bit more credit than the movie does. You are getting people now who are coming out saying, we got to reopen the world, we got to reopen the world. And... It's it's happened, what, a month and a half, two months into this? For a month and a half, two months, people were like, you're going to go home. You're going to stay at home. Why are these people protesting 24 hours in? Like, have they missed that much time? Have they, they, they you know, been laid off already? Like, there's no re- – we don't get a reason why these people are protesting here. Maybe it's just the fact the military is there. But still, we're living in an age now where every country in the world has basically had forced lockdowns and people complied. And it's taken like a month and a half for anybody to actually complain about it. So, And they're Americans. And they gave us credit for. Shame yeah. on you. But Shame I, one thing I will say, though, in, in I'm not defending it, but like that they do kind of imply that there's a there's a media blackout they're not telling anyone and the military is literally just showing up in the streets overnight with no announcement so i think that's why people are maybe a bit like hey like what's going on what the hell's happening cuz I don't but, think there's much told. But then I think it escalates a little bit when you've got Billy Bob and his mullet crew driving out and the fucking army blow them up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also the fact they're all in hazmat suits. That would clue most people in the public in, hey, don't go near here. And they come out in their hazmat suits with their helmets off and all the protesters are literally rubbing their hands all over their suits. If I were Dustin Hoffman that concerned with it, I would say, get that man into quarantine! <laughs> like he did to Cuba Gooding Jr. But Damn he knows it. this is air... It's airborne, but what about surface contact, people? Come on. And if they opening the door, I mean, does that air conditioner in the hospital not have to have, like, a yeah. vent that goes outside? Exactly. Like, what, you know, I don't understand it. We we are seriously screwed in this modern society now that we're asking all these questions about this movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're never going to get back to normal after this. It's all over for us. Um but, uh, yeah, the protesters are out for pretty much the entire movie. There's another cool sequence where they're trying to track Patient Zero, which maybe because I watched Contagion again recently, and I'd seen Contagion years ago. But, you know, it's one of these movies that especially now, if you rewatch, you're like, ooh, this this actually did happen. This happened. Um, but uh, the, the one sequence where I'm like, oh, I kind of wish they'd got this more like Contagion was the tracking of Patient Zero. Because every once in a while, they bring it up in this movie. And... 
all we get is this whiteboard, which was a cool sequence of like this person got it from this person, this person got it from this person, and then this person had to have had it, which means that the host animal came from here. You know, <laughs> it's one of these ta-da moments that the characters should have. <laughs> But then they just drop. They don't seem to care about Patient Zero after that. They don't seem to care about the animal. It just pops in and out of the movie. And it's not like it's sidelined for action sequences. There's actually not that much action in this movie for a movie that made major changes for action sequences. Um, yeah, they, they mention about we got to get these people home. Dustin Hoffman, it takes them like two more days to actually say, get these people at home. <laughs> Stay at home, people. Uh, he, he mentions the point about you drive through a crowd of one, one that has it and then 10 have it or or a crowd of one has it. That means 10 people have it. Uh, I made a note here because (laughs) the funniest thing happened when I was watching this movie. Uh, it was during that scene where he says, if one person has it, 10 people have it where Dustin Hoffman is really on his game when he can just play the military doctor or whatever it is, uh, where Jamie's like, this guy's actually really good in this movie. You know, (laughs) she didn't watch all the scenes, uh, but I'm like, what do you mean? Dustin Hoffman? And she just looks at me weird. She goes, wasn't Dennis Hoffman that chubby guy? I'm like, (laughs) who's Dennis Hoffman? I said, Dustin Hoffman. You mean Dennis Hopper? She goes, was that the chubby guy from Hunger Games? I'm like, you mean Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah, I'm like, three separate people, Jamie. And then she's like, I can't keep track of all these people. I'm like, it's not all these people, it's one person. I gave you the name, Dustin Hoffman. And you immediately said, Dennis Hoffman. And then immediately asked if it was Philip Seymour Hoffman. (laughs) She still hasn't figured it out. I just want to say, but she kept telling me, I don't know why this is so confusing to you. I just messed up his name. Like, no, you messed up. One of them is still alive. Two of them are dead. Exactly. And I think that's how I eventually figured out what she was talking about. She goes, the chubby guy from Hunger Games who died. Um, what, she, I don't know if she's knocking on the door right now or trying to get my to <laughs> Stop talking about me. <laughs> Anyways, so not Philip Seymour Hoffman, not Dennis Hopper, Dustin Hoffman uh, here. Um, yeah, the, the, the uh, they, they start rounding up people at this point. Anybody with symptoms, like they get on the bullhorn and they start telling, if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, then please, you know, turn yourself in immediately or we will come and we'll pick you up. And they start walking these people in literally two feet from each other. Like this is another thing that let's just dissect it now in 2020. Six and a half feet apart. Come on. <laughs> not all you're just tested. Not all these people have it. You basically have killed probably half of these people who probably already had the flu. Um there's a whole bunch of stuff about them trying to come up with the the host animal, trying to come up with the cure. Every once in a while we cut back to the monkey who's made friends with a little girl. Uh there's a scene here, which again, unintentionally funny where Kevin Spacey's telling uh Dustin Hoffman, why don't you get some sleep? And he says, I slept back in July. And then <laughs> They immediately cut to Dustin Hoffman asleep, uh, which is where Kevin Spacey, our real hero of the movie, I guess, uh, accidentally punctures his suit and he gets, (gasps) but then he covers it up. Oh, no. And we had seen this earlier on when Dustin Hoffman had a tear in his suit. These suits are just talking about Looney Tunes. You know, this is like made by the Acme company, (laughs) these suits, because they're just breaking all over the place here. But he somehow covers it up. Not anybody would inspect this suit later on. So the audience knows Kevin Spacey's about to die. Rene Russo or nobody else does. Um, and I also wonder, is a tear in the suit that much concern when we have everybody touching each other's suits? I don't think so, but let's play along. It's a movie. Well, there's also like these people who are just wearing masks and nothing covering the rest of their skin. You know, again, like yeah. these people. There's there's a scene when nurses don't have gloves on and that's apparently yeah. okay. So Like the eating of dead bodies earlier? Yeah. Um. 
I mean, so much of this is like obviously like the lockdown of this town. What is it, Cedar Creek or something like that? Now they say that there are two thousand six hundred eighteen people in this town. Now they keep showing overheads of this town. There are more than two thousand six hundred eighteen people who live in that town. That is a big town for that small amount of people. Um, so maybe they're just it's bankrupt already that town. So you know it's not going to be that bad if everyone dies. And there's some really weird moments of like. We get this really weird focus on one woman who has to leave a husband and a kids and like, Mommy, like, don't hug her. Yeah. And do we even know what happens to her? Like, that's it. It's hard um, to tell like, anybody. Who, like, even in the Looney Tunes sequence earlier, you know, we have all these people who are getting the virus. But by the time they're sick, you can't tell the difference because they're all covered in boils and stuff. Well, that, that one, you're talking about visuals, that, that scene when that guy coughs in the movie theatre. Like, first of all, disgusting. Like, that's just cover your mouth, mate. Um, and <laughs> sneeze into your arm. Um, but, yeah, it, it's odd. I mean, all of this lockdown stuff, like, again, it's it's this weird tone of this movie because you, you feel like you're meant to be feeling bad. Like, here's poor old mum leaving the kid and there's sad music and you see all these zombie-like people getting marched into a tent again, like, as you said, like, right next to each other, just shoved into a thing and put into a tent and, oh, boo-hoo-hoo. Yeah. Um, this is all, like, intersected with this weird orange juice goo, what is it, like, something 1101 or something oh, like the, that? Yeah, the, the, the serum or whatever from 1967. So this is basically the cover-up that they've tried to weaponize mm-hmm. it. and But the thing also that I don't understand, so, like, they – it mutates. So they discover that it's mutated into an airborne disease, whereas before it was only via bottle. Like, is that ever explained how it mutated? Or they're just like – Kevin Spacey's just like, it's mutated. Like, I don't get that. I think um, – no, I, th- I think the closest thing to an explanation, at least that I could figure out, is everybody who was in direct contact with the animal – uh, were the ones where where it was the original strain, but then once it got past, because I think I think the way they they illustrated it might have been either the, the guy in the theater or Patrick Dempsey that the first one had the regular one, but then the the girlfriend who was just in contact with them oh. had. Actually, I thought it was the guy with the blood with the Looney Tune blood when he knocked it over. I thought it was that oh, guy. Who, yeah. Which and can I just point out? How did that happen? He, like, opened the lid of a thing and blood went I, everywhere. Oh. What? Whoa! <laughs> it was like <laughs> a dye pack on a on a bag of, like, money that someone's <laughs> stolen from the, the bloody bank. I didn't get it. Um, yeah, and, like, all these Donald Sutherland... Like, Donald Sutherland's... i got to say, he's maybe the second best person behind Rene Russo because, like, just... It's yeah. such a cheesy, over-the-top, almost Bond villain that it's just he just plays it so well. And let's be honest, the Sutherlands are great in playing evil people. I know, I know Kiefer kind of rebooted his career as Jack Bauer and, you know, President Kirkland in Commander-in-Chief or whatever it was called. Uh, not Commander-in-Chief. Um, uh, 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 designated Survivor. Commander-in-Chief was the Gina Davis one. Underrated yeah. show. Um, Donald Sutherland was in that show, actually, funnily enough. Um, but, yeah, like, I... <laughs> I I don't um I don't get this whole plot around it and then like because again I'm, is Morgan Freeman evil but then he's going to be redeeming himself and just uh, okay sure um and then all of a sudden like Donald Sutherland the whole time just wants to kill uh, Dennis Seymour Hoffman like it's just you know <laughs> like this whole plot around that and and then we the, the scene when Donald Sutherland's like in the White House and you see like the spread like this is what it'll be like in 24 hours and like 48 hours the whole country's gone like what yeah. even COVID-19 doesn't spread that quickly <laughs> like I don't know how that is possible 
Um, and I, it's kind of odd in a movie like this that there's no president, but we get the chief of staff played by the esteemed J.T. Walsh, who, uh, oh, yeah. you know, uh, I I love him in Breakdown. He's, I, I didn't actually realise he died, like, only a few years after this movie. I didn't realise he was no longer with us. But um, why can't he just be the president? Can we not have the president being a prick, basically saying we need to blow <laughs> this town up? Like, I don't understand why they're like, the president's on a plane, I'm the chief of staff. Like, it, just make him the president. It's no mm. different. And But, like, I've got to say, they're kind of right, are they not, in the fact that they should probably kill this town. Like, am I the only one here thinking that this is, you know, if this is the only way you can stop it, probably a good idea. Again, not maybe the most humane way of doing it, and it's going to be a bit controversial, but if this is going to stop the death of all of America, because it's that quick, it can spread in 48 hours, and we've seen how bad the medical people are with, you know, keeping things in their suits and that, like, probably the best idea. Am I am I a bit of an asshole for saying that? Well, I... I mean, it is a strategy. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that you know they would immediately jump the gun to that. I think that's the thing because there's no explanation in this movie given as to why barricading this town wouldn't work. They even say, you know, okay, let's let's quarantine this town. It's a small town. There's no nothing else there. If everybody here dies, it's exactly the same. Like, let's look at the sequence earlier in the movie where the um, the, the the village was bombed. It's a small village. If everybody there dies, the virus dies out. Just well, block off everything in this town. I mean, maybe a bird could catch it. I don't know. But well, that's the still, thing, though. Everyone's already going to die. Everyone's already yeah. sick. They basically say everyone in the town has Within it. Within 24 so they're, hours. They're all going to so die. Just, and they're going to die a horrible death. Then. Well, yeah, you can like, do that. Yeah, because like, if if we talk about the whole, oh, if uh, if there's no new case in 24 hours, then we're in the clear. You know, five, four, three, two, one. But 24 hours... You know, maybe not 48 hours if you just simply quarantine this, you know, and you don't let it get out from this town. You know, all those people in the town are going to they're already dead. You just wait for them to die off again. That still sounds like it's not humane, but the virus is going to die when the people die. You know, if there's nobody else to carry it, it's gone. So why would they need to bomb it if it's only going to be 24 hours before everybody if it's 48 hours for the country? To basically all catch this thing and die, it's 24 hours maximum for this town. Just let the virus die out. Well, the thing, though, though, that might be an issue, though, though, I keep saying though, I'm like, it's a name. No, That's though, somebody's though. name. Though, 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 finger <laughs> it, finger it, finger it. Um, is that the bomb that they drop, though, is, and this is a real bomb. It sounds so far-fetched, but actually, if you read about it, this is a real legitimate bomb where it kind of sucks the oxygen in and kind of destroys, it uses oxygen to cause the explosion. So that's why they're doing it, because then that will kill the disease in its tracks. So I think kind of, yeah, you can let them all die, but then you're going to have 2,618 bodies with this disease that all of a sudden, because you've got dumb bums who are ripping their suits every three <laughs> seconds, somebody doesn't realise they have and they bugger off back to San Francisco, then you have mm. a bit of a problem. Whereas if you just bomb and burn all the bodies all at once, then problem solved. Yeah. I'm just being Hitler, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Like, ben wants to commit genocide. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking uh, of you, I- Colin, all these burning people. Yeah, oh, if only we could have seen that. Come on. Listen to uh, your reaction to that. Oh, yeah, oh, burning people. Ooh. Oh, yes, please, more. It's R-rated. <laughs> Come on, give us our R-rating. Um, but uh, did you have anything else to touch on in that middle the, section? The Actually, the one thing, and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, you mentioned the little girl and the monkey. 
Oh. One of the most stupidest plot points is that you've literally got this girl like going, Mummy, I saw a monkey. This is my monkey. And the mum's like, oh, is that the monkey? Oh, well, you're my little monkey. Now, Colin, I'm sure as a kid, you went to your parents like, Mum, I saw a dragon in the backyard. And yeah. like, I, I legitimately, as a kid, I was very young. I thought a dragon lived in this tree down the road from me. So I would talk about this dragon. Now, if all of a sudden my mum's watching the news and they talk about a dragon-like creature, is she going to grab my drawing as a six-year-old and go, I know. oh my God, he's, he's seen a dragon. Like, what the yeah. hell is this? His mum's all like, oh my God, my child who mustn't have an imagination is really seeing monkeys and has drawn a stick figure that just happens to be black and white. Um. <laughs> okay, I, I mean, that was that was coming in the next sequence, but let's just touch on that now. So the little girl, which by the way, that's, I, talk about scenes that just go on forever. She ends up talking about her apples for like 30 <laughs> seconds after that. It's like, would you like some of your apples? Yes, I love apples. Okay, eat your apples. Oh, apples, apples, apples. Fingering the apples. Finger, finger, finger. Apples, apples, apples. <laughs> but, <laughs> wow. I'm glad you but, said uh, that, not me. I probably would have gone to jail if I'd have been talking about that little girl and fingering. My goodness. <laughs> but yeah, they're looking for the host animal, uh, which is the monkey. And we've seen the monkey loose in the woods in California. And this little girl has seen the monkey. The audience knows that this is what the girl's seeing. Yet still, when they show the picture she drew, I'm looking at it thinking like, did she just draw Zach Galifianakis? What is that? <laughs> like, it does not look like a monkey at all. <laughs> So, in what world does the mom jump and say, monkey carrying virus? My little girl's picture. We're all doomed. Fun trivia fact, actually. Zach Galifianakis was considered for the role of the monkey in this movie, but he missed out to Betsy from Friends. Yeah, well, I mean, he was the alternate choice for Outbreak 2, Outbreak in Manhattan or whatever what? it was. What? But the thing is, though, like, like, again, this little girl just happens to have drawn this monkey in black and white. Now, children will draw, like, a pink monkey. What if the mum's going, yeah. oh, monkey? Oh, wait, no, she drew it in pink. Not the right monkey. Moving on. Except, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's just the whole idea that they finally solved this. This is what I was saying. I wanted more on let's find the host animal, you know? Uh, and you don't even need more time in the movie because going back to Contagion for anybody who has seen it, uh, that movie's divided up all over the place. Like you have 10 different stories happening in a two hour movie. So they probably spend less time on it than they would here, but it feels like there's focus. Like you have a character who's just tasked with tracking down patient zero, or in this case, animal zero, whatever it is. They mention it. It's really exciting. You see the monkey. You see a little girl. They don't bring it up. And then and then suddenly it's like, no, we can't just leave because they're ordering Dustin Hoffman to leave. We can't leave. We need to find the host animal. And then eventually they get a call, which happens off screen, by the way. The mother just looks at the picture and suddenly we know where it is. And they just go and they show up at the house. The sequence where the little girl says, I'm the only one the monkey will come to. <laughs> And they just leave her at face value. No effort made to get us a bunch of soldiers, go round up every monkey you have in there, and then we'll just quarantine them all. Nothing. <laughs> so she just says, I'm the only one I'll talk to. I'm its only friend. Oh, ugh, there goes our plan. We can't do anything without the little girl. What are we going to do, Cuba? <laughs> like, they just believe her. It's just so stupid. Um, let me come back to that sequence in a second. Quickly want to say, like you said about the the 48 hours, it is very unrealistic, even if you're not looking at it from 2020 point of view. Um, the idea that this has taken a couple of hours to spread to 2,600 people, 
How do you immediately do the math that 48 hours the country's dead? These people have to travel for it to reach the rest of the country. I mean, this is what we've learned. You know, and I would think that anybody would jump to you know, the logical conclusion that unless you have people from this town traveling to New York City, it's not going to reach New York City in 48 hours. I mean, we saw, you know, coronavirus spread very quickly. But if you notice the places like, here in Canada, uh, some of the provinces, you know, it's, it's definitely a bigger problem. The ones where there's a lot of people who are doing traveling, B.C., Ontario, Quebec. You get to Manitoba, Saskatchewan, not nearly as many cases, because who's coming to Manitoba or Saskatchewan? Hey, BC's so would... flattened the curve. You take that back. <laughs> yeah, now that people are staying at home and off the beach. Um, but it's all thanks to you, right? It is thanks to me. And the beach? This is Canada. You don't have such things. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just the idea that, that in Wyoming... <laughs> <they're>... <laughs> Why is Wyoming a thing? <laughs> I thought it's our, like, I thought our, I thought our twenty twenty joke was no, I can't get a date. It's turned into Wyoming. I mean, if Noah were in Wyoming, he could get a date because they date anybody, right? Well, uh, except for Noah. Sorry for Wyoming listeners. I don't even remember. I'm how from Wyoming. <laughs> but like, how is Wyoming going to get this in forty eight hours? Nobody's going to Wyoming from by Noah trying to get a date. Yeah, exactly. It's just no. Noah, look, you sent it. You sent coronavirus to us from Korea. You're spreading the Matamba virus. He's like, I'm going to get on a plane. I'm sick of living in Korea. I'm going to go to Wyoming. He's the guy from Love Actually. He's like, I hear that girls in Wyoming really like guys with Australian accents. You know, I don't actually know anything about Wyoming. Is it a really a state? Have you made this up? I, I know. I think it is a state. Um... Or a city, I don't know. Like I've Canadians, heard of it. Uh. <laughs> you know, the honest truth is Canadians will always get upset because Americans confuse things in Canada. Like, Canada, you know, do you have, like, dog sleds and stuff? But I defy anybody to be able to name whether Wyoming is a city, a state, a country. We wouldn't know, you it, know? It's, if- it's a state. It's literally a rectangle. Um, it's It borders <laughs> Idaho, Montana, South Dakota, Nebraska, Colorado, Utah, The uh, all the attractive states. Um, it is literally a rectangle. Like, if you look at all these states. And on Google, what is Wyoming famous for? Um, it is nicknamed the Equality State, as it was the first United States to give women the right to vote. Leave it to Wyoming. (laughs) And and at Devil's Tower, which was established in 1906, was the first national monument in the United States. Um, okay. Top sites in Wyoming. Grand Teton National Park. Old Faithful, I've heard of that. Grand Teton and Grand Prismatic Spring. Everything's grand or old in Wyoming, so... Yep. Grand coronavirus. What's Grand. the what's the coronavirus count in Wyoming right now? Uh, all right, let's. Why not? Uh, <laughs> flatten the curve, Wyoming. Um, does does this uh, give me a Wyoming Department of Health? Okay, uh, they've only had three hundred and twenty six confirmed cases, one hundred and twenty one probable cases, and six deaths. Which I think that's about a half of the population. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, there you go. Something. Oh, Devil's Tower, Wyoming. That's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You ever seen that? I, I, I haven't. And, and well, Old Faithful, that's in, is that in, not in Yellowstone? Are we not about to do 2012 oh. where they go to Yellowstone? Woody Harrelson's living there. Oh, Wyoming. <laughs> misjudge you, Wyoming. Wow. Hello to everyone listening, Wyoming. Let, let's, remember we were going to go on a trip to that place for Twister? Bugger that. Let's go to Wyoming. 
I just want to make Wyoming month now. Like, we got some good stuff. <laughs> Movies about Wyoming. Let's, let's see this. Let's say famous people from... If this is Rene Russo, this is freaky. Um, really? No. Um, <laughs> what do you mean, mate, dude? I, I don't know if I've heard of any of these people. Um, James Bridger, a trapper guide and storyteller. Oh, Dick Cheney. <laughs> Dick Cheney's from Wyoming. There we go. Um... Yep, that's literally the only person I've heard of. <laughs> oh, Jackson Pollock, I've heard of him. Ah, uh, well, we could do. There we go. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Outbreak, 2012, and Pollock. We got that, a month. Yes, and we could revisit Vice again if you really want to. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, anyways, <laughs> oh Matthew Fox, Matthew Fox, there he is. That's why he's disappeared. He's from Wyoming. Change the name of the show to Wyoming Oz. Come on. <laughs> Matthew, I'm so excited. Matthew Fox is from Wyoming. Why am I so excited for that? I love how you go through here on Wikipedia. You don't have any... Oh, no, there is sports. I was about to say, there's no athletes who have ever come from Wyoming. Uh, please say Ryan Lochte's come from there. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I've not heard of any of these athletes. Um, no. Nah. Oh, well. No. <laughs> All right. Hello, That's Wyoming. Right. Goodbye, Wyoming. Um, big discrepancy here. So when Dustin Hoffman sneaks off to find the little girl, Rene Russo covers from here where they say, have you seen whatever his name is? Have you seen Philip Seymour Hoff- <laughs> Hoffman? Uh- <laughs> He's in Wyoming. And she basically says, yeah, tall guy, really big guy. She's obviously doing that so that they cannot find him because they're going to be looking for a big guy. Obviously, drawing attention to the fact that Dustin Hoffman is a very small man. I never realized how small Dustin Hoffman was until I saw him stand next to Kevin Spacey. And I'm like, is Kevin Spacey wearing stilts? Like, he's a half a foot taller, and Kevin Spacey is not a tall man. Can we find his height? Uh, Kevin Spacey or Dustin Hoffman's? Both. Uh, All right, Kevin Spacey. Gee, we're we're on to that in this episode, aren't we? Uh, Kevin Spacey is uh, 1.78 metres. I don't know what that is in feet. I, I'd use a metric system. Do you want me to convert that for you? Or are you okay? uh, well, I've got Dustin Hoffman is 1.67 centimetres, which oh, is about 5'6". Five, five I'm like as tall almost as Kevin Spacey, and I'm taller than Dustin Hoffman. Apparently, people also search for, funnily enough, you type in Kevin Spacey height underneath. People also search for... Dustin Hoffman, 1.67. Robin Wright, 1.68. And Ansel Elgort, 1.9 metres. Because <laughs> what, he was in Baby Driver with Kevin Spacey? So was that a thing? People are like, ooh, better compare the two. Well, what's Renee Russo's height? Because oh, she beautiful. is shorter than him <laughs> in this movie. She but yet, is 1.73. She's taller than Kevin Spacey. Mm. So why do they make a point... Well, she's five make- centimeters shorter than Kevin Spacey. Oh, okay. Okay, well, she's taller than Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yet in the scenes they have together, he's obviously taller. So I, I would love, like, this is what you would get with Tom Cruise movies. Because Tom Cruise is short, not even taking a shot. I mean, I'm not that tall. I'm, like, you know, 5'7", five, 5'8", five, maybe. But I'm taller than Dustin Hoffman. Let's Tom, Tom Cruise is taller than Dustin Hoffman. Can I just point that out? Tom Cruise is 1.7 meters, so he's nearly the height of Rene Russo. Yeah, but, like... You know, they will obviously hide those heights, but I want to see the scene of Dustin Hoffman standing on a box next to Rene Russo. This is what I want to see. Finger the box. Finger the box. Box, box, finger. Finger the box. Box, box. I'm tall. I'm taller than Russo. Taller than Russo. Taller than Russo. 
Finger Russo. Finger Russo. <laughs> <laughs> bigger finger. Bigger finger. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's get to the best scene here. <laughs> We've lost the point in this movie all of a sudden. <laughs> so they're trying to find out where this cargo ship was, which I don't even know why they have to go to the cargo ship. It's kind of unclear. The one that carried the monkey in the first place. But they go to the Hall of Records or whatever to, to, to find out you know, where this ship is. I don't know, something like that. And when they're there... He does the whole, you know, it's the whole, you know, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, thing again. But this is, he, he's faking his way through it again. It's like, should I cough on you? My name, I'm going to run general, general, whatever. Should I cough on you? <laughs> Dustin Hoffman stutter, which actually this scene was kind of entertaining, especially when he says, would you like me to cough on you? And the guy's like, no, 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 that's okay. Uh, but then this lady, which is like, I got a friend in the Coast Guard. I can call for you. And they know exactly where to find this cargo ship because a friend in the Coast Guard. And why Why do they have to have, like, a woman sleeping with a guy? Like, they're the freaking army. Can they just be like, like, I know he's on the run, but can you not just be like, oh, it's just Colonel Jimbo Smithers. Uh, yeah. I need to know that. Like, can he, he would know all the codes and the ranks and everything. Like, I don't get why it's this top secret. We've got to sneak into the Coast Guard. Yeah. And, like, they're... Obviously, it is a thing in the movie at this point that Hoffman's disobeying orders, as you mentioned, because the government's trying to cover up for the fact that they, you know, they they wanted to use this as a weapon and that they had a potential antidote, but that you know it it, uh, it wasn't completely tested and you know it uh, isn't something they want to make public because then they would have to release everything that happened in 1967. But whatever, you know, um, it's, it's just it feels weird that. You know, you need this to make an action movie because I feel like this movie is more exciting when it's not trying to be an action movie. Like you said, when they don't have the plot about the government trying to cover this up, when you don't have him jumping onto a cargo ship for no reason at all, which is about to happen, uh, this is a fairly compelling movie. But then we get to the sequence where after she's suddenly like, I know where the Coast Guard, or I have a friend in the Coast Guard, I know where your ship is. You get this sequence which... Would be pretty cool if it was anybody but Dustin Hoffman. But, like, if you're going to commit yourself to creating a fictional agency and creating a fictional conspiracy plot so you can have an action sequence, is Dustin Hoffman your first thought for a leading man? No. Like, were, were there no action stars that you could have got? Mel Gibson, like you mentioned. Anybody who had done action before who was believable because he just jumps – and they make a bigger deal out of it that it ends up being where he's like, you're going to have to get me really close. And I was getting all my excitement up like, oh, this is going to be fun. Like a big jump off of a helicopter. And then he basically jumps like two feet and immediately lands onto it. They didn't have like holding onto it by a thread or, or almost slipping and somebody has to grab his hand. Great way to make action. Out of this movie. We covered Geely where we pinpointed there. There were a ton of opportunities you had to give any type of action that. And this was just sort of a letdown. But then they get on the ship and they just sort of find a dead body. They're like, thank you very much. This is very helpful. Who How loves his help- monkey with a pet picture of the monkey? I don't get that either. <laughs> Have you seen this monkey? <laughs> yes, he's very and attractive. Like, but what, what does this help them? The monkey's not there. So they basically go on this side mission for no reason at all. And maybe it's said in the movie. I don't know. Um, then we get them finding the monkey, as we mentioned, the, the little girl, you know, here, come here, whatever the name she gave the monkey was. I think she gave it the name Betsy, didn't she? Or Betty or something? Uh, I mean, I think the, the isn't the monkey's actual name Betsy or something like that? Uh, I thought that they called it that in the movie, too. Or they, uh, it was a girl's name, whatever it was. Susie, um, Renee, let's just call Wyoming. it Wyoming. Wyoming. <laughs> um, 
But uh, there's like another moment of tension here where I'm thinking, okay, I just want them to get the monkey. I would have loved this scene to be like the monkey's almost there, you know, oh, and now it's pulling back in the woods. But instead, they have this annoying little girl step in between Cuba Gooding Jr., who has the tranquilizer gun, and the monkey. And we're thinking, no, no, they've either lost the monkey or they have to shoot the kid. Shoot the kid. Come on. The audience doesn't care. <laughs> this kid we want to see shot, okay? She's not going to die. She's not going to get hurt. You're just going to knock her out. We won't have to hear from her again. I'm okay with that. Anyways, they eventually take an impossible shot, shoot the monkey. Now they have it. They have to get the monkey back. We get a helicopter chase because Donald Sutherland wanted the whole city destroyed. Hoffman's trying to call off the attack. I don't want to downplay it too much because this actually was kind of exciting. I liked the sequence. I thought the visuals were great of this helicopter fight. It's not Mission Impossible Fallout, but I mean, it's it's a fairly decent 1995 helicopter chase. You know, when uh, they drop below the radar eventually and they're flying right above a truck, you know, uh, it's like, could you get us any lower? It's like, uh, we're trying to avoid radar here. And they're literally, I don't know, 10 feet off the ground. Um, it's really the only thing you could do for a movie like this. I mean, you could have rewritten the script and had it be, you know, a battle for can we get this monkey before Rene Russo dies? Because that becomes a thing. Because as everybody else in this movie who's a doctor does, she fumbles a needle and it breaks on her finger. Now, how hard would she have had to stab this thing for the needle to bend? And meanwhile, she barely pricked her finger. So now she's dying, which is why Hoffman has to get the monkey to her. And when he does, they immediately have a cure, apparently, because the movie's just over. Outbreak. Um, <laughs> like a lot of movies we do, uh, you notice flaws going in. And then when you sit down and talk about it, you're like, yeah, this movie really is garbage. <laughs> I just, this whole action stuff is just crap. It's just so stupid that you've got to have you this. You didn't like the like, helicopter? Uh, no, it's just, it, I don't like it when it's just so forced and contrived action for no reason. Because, like... Let's be honest, when this movie is over, like, you know, as you said, it's kind of like, cure found, disease done, happy ending. Can we just analyse the fact that there's not really a happy ending a lot of the time because they've cured Rene Russo, which is a happy ending. But, like, there's still a bunch of other dead bodies. There's still, you know, close to 2,000 people dead. Not a good thing. Uh, This is still done because of a military cover-up, allegedly. So the US Army is going to be dragged through courts and all this sort of stuff. Donald Sutherland's character is like, I'm going to take you down with me. Morgan Freeman is screwed. Like, all of these people are going to be... This is going to be a media shitstorm that is going to go forever. The army is just fucked. Well, then all this sort of stuff is leaked out. And all of this because, I mean, what happens to the monkey? Like, the monkey just is passed out and they've sucked its blood off. What if that monkey escaped? We've seen it not exactly cooperating before, except for getting some apples of little fucking whatever the girl's name is. Like, are you going to quarantine the monkey for life? Because the monkey will always have the virus. Exactly. Like... You know, I, I'm going to rewatch Friends very differently now. I think Ross is sick. Uh, I, I feel, that's that's the alternative ending to, to Ross. It's not Rachel, I got off the plane. It's Ross going, <coughs> I don't feel well. Um, but, like, this is where I just think it's, it, it's dumb. And so many of these things, like, the, you talk about that bit where Rene Russo was like, oh, tall guy, you know, big shoulders, whatever it is. Yeah. We talk about over-the-top acting. The bit where the army people come into the uh, the hospital and they're all like, Have you seen Colonel Pepper? Like the way they say it. And then that one woman behind the desk is like, He's upstairs! <laughs> like the way she says it. It's so, so bad. Um, and like the, 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 we talked about, I think, Kevin Spacey. I think the only time Kevin Spacey's bad in this movie is when he's dying. And he's kind of like, ah! 
like just so bad over the top when he's dying. But yeah, when Renee Russo pricks herself and then it's kind of like oh, dramatic. They've got to go out and take the gloves off. It's like, it's okay, it's okay, there's no blood. And then she's like fucking bleeding everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and there's then again, I love Dustin Hoffman's, you know, panic to get the cure is only because Rene Russo is dying. Now, again, great care factor here, Dustin Hoffman. You've got 2,618 people dying, but only when Rene Russo is dying, which, okay, fair enough, that is that is an emergency. Mm. But, like, this, <laughs> this is the thing, too, which is dumb about this whole plot line, right? So... Are we led to believe that Donald Sutherland is so evil that he wants everything covered up that even though Dustin Hoffman legitimately has the cure, right, he is still going to murder Dustin Hoffman to then blow up a town? Now, again, going to my point, the army is going to be dragged through the mud with everything that's happening after this movie. Donald Sutherland... Do you not think that the rushed nature to which you have just slaughtered 2,600 Americans on American soil is going to cause a little bit more backlash than Mm. the fact that you've gotten the cure? And again, as fun as Donald Sutherland is as this evil kind of Bond-esque villain, this works so much as a Bond movie because you don't need background and explanation for a Bond villain. They're just evil pricks. Why is he motivated to kill these people and do this? It's... It's weird, and then, and even in that scene when he gets like arrested, and like Morgan Freeman's on the the phone to the people, like you know, oh, you must return at once. Don't fly in front of the helic of uh, the plane. And the way Donald Sutherland's like, "What are you, an idiot or something? You told him that deliberately, didn't you?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just this standoff with Dustin Hoffman, like, "Please, if you can hear me, if you can hear me, finger finger the plane, finger the plane, finger the plane, don't do this, finger the plane." And then when they drop the freaking parachute. And they're like, oh, no, he dropped it. It just happens to be over water. Have we ever seen water in this town until now? Like, what? No. This comes out of nowhere. Um, and then the way the pilot's just like, oh, there must have been a bit of wind interference or something like that. Like, ha, 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 ha. And also, the scene at the end when this movie... Like, I think I zoned out mentally the way this movie ended because I'm expecting Renee Russo and Dustin Hoffman to kiss. But, like, what happened? They're just like, oh, the That's disease like- is over. And it's like, roll credits. Yeah, they didn't like, need to be okay. married for this movie to exist. I know. Like, like if you're going to do this, because, you know, movie happens, you have to have a love story, why not just have them as two people that are kind of attracted to it? Or like, okay, Volcano, another movie which apparently yeah. did this better. Anne Heche and Tommy Lee Jones meet each other, and they've got to kind of flirt, and it's implied that they're going to get together. Okay, that's done better. Pierce Brosnan, uh, Linda Hamilton, Dante's Peak, you know, get them together. Why not? Uh, you know, have these things happen? Lily Sabowski and um, what's Elijah his face? Wood. Thank you, Elijah Wood. I was about to say Ethan Hawke, but different, different person. Um, <laughs> what happened to Ethan Hawke? I like Ethan Hawke. Um, I like Elijah Wood too, but <laughs> I like Lily Sabowski. While we're on the page, <laughs> I had a mad crush on her as a, as a kid. But like, they work. Those, you know, this is dumb that they're married and nothing happens and. This movie's dumb. <laughs> You're so right. When you talk about it, it gets me mad. Like, I honestly watched this movie last night and go, yeah, I'm probably going to bin that. Um, I think I'm definitely going to bin this now after talking about it. This movie's stupid. Um, <laughs> and it was a success. How? It's what? This movie was a success. I know you're about to talk well, about it. I'm jumping ahead of you there. but oh. No, I mean... I- I was just about to say, like, I remember when this movie came out, and I think a couple things we got to, you know, uh, keep in mind here. One, 1995, this is 
a run-of-the-mill thriller, action movie, whatever you want to call it. Um, but you add on to the fact that it's R-rated, and I, I did mention that this was around the time there were a lot of R-rated movies that came out. Um, R-rated movies, I think prior to 1995, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anything that really made a ton of money. Uh, and this is sort of like, you know, one of the lower grossing of the big hit R-rated movie. Made $67 million, which is actually crazy. Domestically, $189 million worldwide, which is actually crazy uh, for an R-rated movie in 1995. Now, following this, you would have Bad Boys and Crimson Tide and then Die Hard with a Vengeance and Seven being, I think, you know, Die Hard and Seven being the really big ones. This was kind of a breakthrough year for R-rated movies. But this just doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel like an R-rated movie. Does it to you? Not at all. I didn't know it was R-rated until you said. And the the one bit that I kind of... I wasn't grossed out, but it kind of was a bit shocking. Was that scene where Cuba Gooding Jr. vomits because he sees like that kid with his two dead parents, and that was kind of like, whoa, okay, that's a bit full on. And like, but if that's the only scene in this movie that is considered, uh, uh, like, I don't like because they say fuck a lot in this movie. Is that where it comes from? Like, I I don't get the R rating in this movie in the slightest. Maybe it's the inappropriate relationship between the girl and the monkey. Yeah, maybe there was more to it. There were deleted scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this movie, it opens in March of 1995, uh, which again, I think you would have to jump forward a couple of years before you could find hit movies that came prior to May. It was sort of like January to April, nothing really made money. And this comes out March, number one, three weeks in a row, $13 uh, million in its opening weekend, uh, beats out Man of the House with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I love that movie. Brady Bunch movie, another good one. That's all right. Uh, Just caught. Just Cause with Wesley Snipes and Sean Connery uh, and Drew Barrymore in Boys on the Side. Uh, well, I'm just so I'm looking at the year that was 1995. And again, it's interesting to look at, you know, movie. We've talked about this before about how, you know, today what you get like the top 30 movies will make over a hundred million dollars. Um, in 1995, only seven movies made the highest grossing movie that year, Batman Forever. So kind of we talked a little bit about that uh, last week. But then Apollo 13, Toy Story, Pocahontas, Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, Casper, oh, what a movie, and Die Hard with a Vengeance are your top seven. Goldeneye, ninth, um, yeah. which uh, made 91. Oh, actually, I'm looking at total gross there. Sorry. So, actually, top six movies. Casper was the only other one that made it over $100 million, But if you look at the total gross, uh, Die Hard ultimately did, and so did Goldeneye eventually went over 100 So did seven. But um, initial gross, only the top six movies made over $100 million that year. And is this one of the best two years of Rene Russo's career, too? Because if you look at her film... Are they the only two years of Rene Russo's career? I'm sorry, I love you, Rene, but... (laughs) For, like, big box office. I mean, yeah, because if you look at her filmography, she had a couple of big movies, you know, prior to this, a couple of big movies after this, but they were more, like, scattered. And here you have... Four massive movies over two years, Outbreak, Get Shorty, Tin Cup, and Ransom. And yet, she's never really given credit for those. I mean, arguably, Outbreak is considered a Dustin Hoffman movie. You know, Get Shorty's a John Travolta, Tin Cup's Kevin Costner, Ransom's Mel Gibson. But, I mean, huge run for two years there. So, uh, oh, can't and wait we're to we're bringing her back. Movie. Yeah, we're bringing her back. Let's get her on the show. Like, well, I'm sure we could. She's not doing much. She's in quarantine like <laughs> all of us. So, you know. Um. Critical response, it's got a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
I don't remember this being a movie that people disliked. And if you read some of the reviews, especially the reviews that came out at the time, it was fairly well reviewed. So I think this is just a movie that's sort of dated now because it's no different than a lot of those other movies at the time. But 59% still, I think, a little bit too kind for this. Um, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars, says it's one of the great scare stories of our time. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. And Devin Denby of New York Magazine uh, thought the opening scenes were well done, but somewhere in the middle, Outbreak falls off a cliff and becomes lamely conventional. Yeah. Yeah, I I really think it's not something that uh, ages well. They do put on here that Kevin Spacey won two awards for this movie, which is kind of deceptive because uh, he won acting awards where they will basically reward an actor for an entire year. And this is basically his shared 1995. So he was awarded for Usual Suspects 7, and he just happened to be an outbreak that year, so it was included. Yeah, because I'm seeing here, he also got New York Film Circle Awards Kevin Spacey for Best Supporting Actor. Um, yeah. So was Do that... we really believe that was for this and not Usual Suspects? Well, I'm just trying to say, I think it was for this. Um, if I am able to pull this up, is there any uh, supporting actor? No, that's the wrong year. I want, uh, I guess I want 96, don't I? Um, mm. Or so 95. Oh, no, no, you are right. You are right. So he got it for um, Swimming with Sharks, Usual Suspect, Outbreak, and Seven. And he apparently they have a runner-up in the category, Don Cheadle in A Devil in a Blue Dress. Hmm. I never seen the movie. I love um, that reaction. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, Don Cheadle, you know. <laughs> uh, plot keywords here. Uh, we have to go through this one. The obvious one: virus. Uh, the Walking Dead. Contagion. Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> That's just because that movie is a virus in itself. So yeah. Uh, Zombie Land. Double Tap. The Matrix. Outbreak and then following Outbreak, American Psycho. Like, what is what does an outbreak have to do with American Psycho? I don't know. Um, I'm looking at Epidemic, and that's Contagion at number one. Outbreak number two. Train to Busan. Isn't that where Noah lives? Korean. Yeah. Um, and I Am Legend at number four. Twelve Monkeys at number five. Quarantine months. Little Contagion. Women at number nine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess there was an epidemic in that. Uh, 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 let's look at jumping from a helicopter month uh, with Outbreak, Transformers The Last Night, The Incredible Hulk, and Salt. Uh, of course, you know we've been planning for years Death Spasm Month, uh, <laughs> where we talked about Outbreak, Kill Bill, Volume 1, The Rock, and Psycho 2. What about looking at oneself in a mirror month? Featuring Avengers <laughs> Endgame, Joker, Rocket Man, and Blade Runner 2049. I'm, I'm down for that. Um, American Man Abroad. <laughs> I month. just saw that. <laughs> With two films, Outbreak and the Return of Sam McCloud. I love how they've literally got United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases Month. <laughs> uh, featuring Outbreak and a documentary called Vaccine Syndrome, which is actually in post-production. So it's it's uh, new. I, I got one really important one here, which is Capuchin Monkey Month, <laughs> <laughs> featuring Outbreak, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Captain Off with Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Uh, scheming Wife Month? Who was a scheming wife in this movie? <laughs> she was scheming? What? 
Featuring <laughs> Outbreak is number one. Gone Girl is... How is Gone Girl not number one? Um, <laughs> Dumb and Dumber 2 and The Whole Nine Yard. A Matthew Perry vehicle. Can we do Matthew Perry month? Uh, <laughs> what was that when he did? Three to Tango? Uh, yeah. Um, the Whole Nine Yards, The Whole Ten Yards. Oh, I um, hate those movies. I've never seen them, to be honest. Um, three to Tango and friends uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, seriously what else has matthew well, perry been oh he was in um was it uh, the zach efron one where he became a kid again he was the older version oh yeah uh uh 17, 17 again wasn't it yeah yeah i always that and 13 going on 30 i'm like which one was the going on and which one was the again one yeah uh i think we already said it we're bending this right Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I almost feel sad in saying I'm binning it because I wasn't bored watching this movie. No. I was just frustrated at times watching it. And I think when you really do have to reflect on it, even just keeping in mind this is not 1995 anymore, you know, we're looking at it from a different lens. I think it's still just kind of a garbage movie. It's It's a fun garbage movie, though, at times. It's not a great fun movie, though. I Yeah, I mean, I agree, but it's like... He's he. We are the podcast that last week we bought Batman and Robin, and we're binning Outbreak. <laughs> um, but like the difference is, is like I can sit down and watch Batman and Robin and know it's a bad movie, but have fun. Yeah. Like we talked about that last. Whereas this, it's kind of like it's just dumb. Like it's just, and I don't know if we're watching this differently now because of what is happening in the world. But it's just this is a movie that I generally probably won't ever want to watch again. Like I like a good disaster movie. Um, we're going to talk about a few of them, obviously, in the coming weeks, and I'm sure one year we will do another month like this because there's heaps to cover. But there are sometimes like I can I can watch 2012 and realize it's completely stupid and ridiculous, but it's it's fun. Um, you know, this, this like there was um, what was it? Was it the core? Was that one with um, oh, yeah. Aaron Eckhart in it? And like that's a disaster movie, which I think I should like, but I don't. That that recent one, Geostorm, that was garbage. Um, even though I like, I was like, oh, cool. We're finally getting a disaster movie that's destroying the world again. It was rubbish. Like this is up there with a disaster movie, even though it's not full on like end of the world disaster movie, but it's, it's one that I wanted to like more and just, yeah. And talking mm-hmm. about it with you for two hours just made me more frustrated. This movie kind of sucks. We're sorry, Renee. We're going to get to the good stuff eventually. Renee, you, you like, I'm sure I've not seen Rocky and Bullwinkle. I hear that's bad, but like, you, you, I mean, I'm sure you, like, I'm sure that's a better movie than this, isn't it? I don't know. Have you seen Rocky and Bullwinkle? No, but I almost wanted to do it. See if we could find a bonus episode. Can we just, you know, have more Renee Russo this year than Arnold Schwarzenegger? Renee you think Russo, it's possible? yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, what what we should do is like, and this is something that would be like a you know a month filler or a gradual one is kind of if we have like a month off, instead of just having a theme month, we should just work our way through the filmography of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Rene Russo yeah. and see like literally try and do every single movie they've been in, even if they're in it for like five seconds. You know, we should yeah. we should try and do that. Yeah. Hey, we could just make a spinoff show of it. Rene Russo Oz, Arnie Oz. <laughs> Renee and Arnie Oz. R- yeah. R- Rani Oz. Rani. Renarni. Work on it. We've got our Arnie impersonation down, Pat. We just need to work on our Renee Russo impersonation. No. I just sit I here and look Renee. beautiful. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how many times throughout this movie I kept looking at Jamie and saying, would you believe she was already in her 40s when she made this movie? She's like, okay, I get it. She's older than Kevin Spacey, and Kevin Spacey looks older than her in this movie. She is. That's the weird thing with Rene Russo. Sorry, we're starting Rene Russo early here. But, like, 
if you look at even when she her first movie major league which was you know five six years earlier than this she was already well into her 30s and like i don't think she ages at all no she i mean she, and like because in what the most recent thing i've probably seen her in is um thor, uh, thor thank you uh and she looks fantastic in thor mm-hmm. uh so yeah good on you renee russo yeah. like you actually she doesn't have a very big filmography like if you actually no she picks and chooses which is why we love her so much because she picks the right movies most of the time and she she took a few years off didn't she she kind of i think mm-hmm. stepped away and that's and then thor sort of came came back with her comeback movie but um i thought she was nominated for an oscar but i was wrong so yeah that's a uh... shame yeah, no, she was nominated for a Saturn Award for Free Jack, which we will she be covering a, later this year. She won a Saturn Award for Nightcrawler, Best Supporting oh, Actress. That's a, yeah, that's a great movie. And an AARP Award, uh, the esteemed AARP. Uh, they have something to do with the, the military uh, <laughs> advisors for disease prevention control. <laughs> it's <anonymous>. basically <laughs> an old person's group. It's a United what? States based interest group whose stated mission is to empower people to choose how they live as they age. Ah, <laughs> oh, I'd be offended. Uh, well, but you're an Russo. Well, you're not, yeah. but if you're, I Renee wish Russo. I was. Imagine <laughs> if I was, <laughs> I woke up this morning and I was different. I was Renee Russo. <laughs> Look at me. I'm beautiful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we actually technically are not doing Renee Russo month yet, even though it might seem like it. we're doing end of the world month. So we haven't really decided on the order, although I think we should split up the Roland Emmerich ones. We'll do one of them last, but one of them next. So which one do you think we should save for last, 2012 or day after tomorrow? Well, that means that you're going to make me host both of them. I'm happy to, but do you not want to host one of them? Uh, I'm, I've seen Bird Box before, so it's probably easier for me to host that sure. one. I've never seen that. Um, let's go day after tomorrow, just because I think it's 2012 is... I know it's next, because I think 2012 okay. is so bonkersly crazy yeah. that I think we need to end <laughs> this. And hopefully in you know three weeks' time, whenever we air it, the world has calmed down a little bit, and so we can just have absolute batshit bonkers, you know, Roland Emmerich on drugs. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, day after tomorrow, let's, let's go with that next. Yeah, which is easily my favorite movies of all these. I think we both said it's like a movie that we just watch constantly. Um, that's one of these movies that I, I I can never fall asleep just lying there trying to fall asleep. And I will never get tired just waiting to fall asleep. So I always have to be watching something. And it has to be something that I've either seen a million times or it's maybe slower paced. Uh and Day After Tomorrow is one of these movies I've seen a million times. So whenever I'm stumped and I can't come up with something to fall asleep to, Jamie's always like, put on The Day After Tomorrow. You've seen that a million times. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, but I, I don't even – even when I'm not falling asleep, it's just one of these movies. If it's on TV, I'm watching it. If if I'm bored, I'm watching it. If the summer comes and we get a rainstorm, I feel like watching Day After Tomorrow. It's the, you're always in the mood for Day After Tomorrow. It's the first movie I ever saw three times at the cinemas, and I've only ever seen – I saw uh, Force Awakens three times. I've technically seen Phantom Menace three times because I saw it twice in 99 and then when it came out in 3D. Um, So I think there's only three movies off the top of my head I have seen three times at the cinemas. But this was all fairly within like maybe two weeks of each other. This also I think is the first movie. I think Die Another Day probably was the first one but not to the extent of Day After Tomorrow that I got so excited, could not stop watching trailers Mm -hmm. and was basically counting the days down to to this movie coming out. 
and you know there was a really good viral campaign around it sort of the the way they had the website going on i don't know if you remember sort of all the little short teasers they released in the lead up to it and just was so pumped and excited for this movie and i i loved every single second of it clearly as i said i saw it three times um and I, yeah, I, I honestly have not watched this movie in quite a long time, surprisingly, for a movie that I love so much. And I'm actually, I went over my top 50 movies that we did last year, and I thought I had this in my top 50, and I don't. And I feel ashamed that I don't, because this should be in my top 50 Same movies with me. of all time. Yeah. Like, this is just a movie that I just, I love so much. And it's kind of crazy to think that, and we'll talk about this a lot, is that this movie, you know, topical at the time and kind of a bit controversial about the whole global warming thing. This this feels very relevant today. Like obviously, maybe six months ago, um, when like you know Greta Thunberg was the coronavirus <laughs> of the world. So yeah, I I'm really looking forward to doing this. It's it's one of these ones that I think that if when we started the Oz Network, if we had to write down you know a list of movies that we definitely one day want to cover, this would have been one of them. Yeah. Um, I probably will say this still isn't my favourite Roland Emmerich movie. That was definitely a, a movie that did make my top ten Independence Day. Um, but this is up there. I mean, God, God's, like, Roland Emmerich is one of those directors, I think, that I will see anything that he makes. Although yeah, I Even if it's think, bad, it's good. Well, I don't think I saw, um, was it 10,000 BC? I don't think I've seen that. Oh, um, that was bad. <laughs> yeah. And what, what did he do? Didn't he do one of those White House Down movies recently? He did White House Down, I think. Oh, no, wait. Yeah. Or was that um, was that Wolfgang Peterson? I can't remember. No, I think it was Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know. <laughs> the same person. <laughs> German, <laughs> action yeah, director. Him, Joel Schumacher, they're all the same, aren't they? I mean, I'm just looking <laughs> yeah. at his... At his, and again, we'll talk about this next week probably, but like, I mean, God, like Stargate was one of the first movies I remember seeing at the oh, movies. Godzilla, The Patriot, Eight-Legged Freaks is a random movie that I remember, which is kind of hilariously bad and fun. Um, I mean, out of all the ones of his that I've seen, only Independence Day Resurgence is probably going to leave, you know, give me cancer or something like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. The point is, I was about to say, this is the first Roland Emmerich movie we've done. It isn't. We've done Godzilla. So um yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm elongating my uh, opinion of this uh, and the score. Can I just point out the score? One of my favorite movie scores of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know that that's his first collaboration of a composer and uh, a screenwriter doing the same job because that's the weirdest thing about it is the guy who does the music for Roland Emmerich's movies also writes his movies, which is kind of odd. But uh, wow, um, I don't John know if Williams. He had- <laughs> yeah, but they, they, the cast for this movie too like this was the last great disaster movie the way disaster movies are supposed to be like a big ensemble cast you know dennis quaid and jake gyllenhaal and uh um emmy rossum and uh um, really you're including her in the same sentence as absolutely uh, i love well, emmy rossum don't get me wrong i'll gladly watch her for two hours every single week but is she not yes. the estella warren of 2004 like what happened to her <laughs> i know but I, I don't care she, she gets a free pass <laughs> Uh, but yeah, lots of great uh, people, lots of great stuff in that movie. So we'll be back for that. But um, uh, following that, Bird Box 2012, and then whatever else we got going on right now, which I think is just Total Drama Island, the endings of Survivor, um, and still no Lost. Sorry. Yeah, but, blame Noah. I tried. I actually did try to start that up, and he's like, I'm busy. <laughs> but all of you wyoming neighbors and matthew fox don't worry we got more love coming for you we're gonna find more wyoming stuff for you more wyoming content on wyoming oz coming soon yes wyoming 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 let's, let's... finger finger every time i hear the word wyoming i think of winona Ryder. i think wyoming and winona are the same thing maybe that's <laughs> maybe i think winona is a state not wyoming yeah <laughs> 
Alright, so uh, join us next time for Disaster Month. My name is Colin Seymour Hopper. My name is Ben 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 Fingering. Thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.